Well, there's no number for Frank in any of Earl's stuff. You know, and he's pretty out of it. I mean, like I said, he's dying. Dying of cancer. So... What kind of cancer? Well, it's brain and lung. My mother had breast cancer. Oh, I'm sorry. Is she alright? Oh, she... she's fine now. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's scary though. Oh, it's a hell of a disease. Oh, it sure is. Yeah. I know this sounds silly, and I know that I might sound ridiculous, like this is the, the scene of the movie where the guy's trying to get a hold of the long lost son, you know, but this is that scene. This is that scene. And I think they have those scenes in movies because they're true, you know, because they really happen. And you gotta believe me, this is really happening. I mean, I can give you my number and you can go check with whoever you gotta check with and call me back, but do not leave me hanging on this. All right, please. I'm just, please. See, see this is the, the scene of the movie where you help me out. Everybody, how you doing? Welcome back to Yours, Mine, and the Truth with me, Travis Walsh. What is this podcast? Well, you know what it is by now. This is episode 11. You should know by now, but that's uh, if you don't, I'll tell you one more time. It is a journey through the texts of my youth with an old friend from the past and a reevaluation of their worth and their merit and, you know, their effect on us as individuals and and a whole lot of other things, as we've seen. Um, I'm really glad that you are here to join us today. I hope everybody's safe and looking after each other. And uh, I should probably talk about my other shows here on the Plum Network before we get too far into things. Starting with Gideon Guys, a show I do with my friend Johnny Hedgepath about DC's Legends of Tomorrow. I had never seen the show before, but we are up to season, we're into season one, uh, episode 13 we just uh, put up there, and it's been getting uh, it really highlights of the series so far, and it's uh, always fun to talk about it with Johnny, so I recommend looking that up on the Plum Network, that's Gideon Guys. Uh, also, uh, we record tomorrow. Our latest episode of Mystery Titans Theater. This is if you're getting this, if you're listening to this on Friday, we record tomorrow. If not, uh, this Saturday we record, and it should go up sometime later in the the night there, Pacific times. Maybe check in the morning if you're on the other coast, because uh, we tend to go late, and this one will go late. I saw the length of it where it uh, it's the brawl to end it all. Um, I, last last uh, week I incorrectly referred to it as uh, the war to settle the score, but we're going to be watching the brawl to end it all because. This is Kelly's last episode of Mystery Titans Theater before Johnny and I move on to uh, having a revolving door of guests, we've decided. So that's going to be exciting, too. So look for that on YouTube. That's Mystery Titans Theater Volume 2. And I will share this on the uh, Plum Network uh, Twitter account. So follow us there, at Network Plum. Okay, got that out of the way. Uh, we continue uh, our journey, like looking back into uh, film, my favorite medium, with a a movie, uh, one movie that... that that really uh, has, you know, uh, at the time, really, really shook me and kind of shaped me, um, for better or for worse, in the then and the years to come. 
and uh, another movie that really uh, we're including. Uh, we explain why we're including it, but really it's there just to kind of like uh, stop this thing from going too far off the rails because, uh, well, the first uh, film, Magnolia, really kind of takes me off. It makes me an emotional wreck every time I watch it, and, and I'm worried that, I'm, you know, concerned at talking about it. I don't want this to turn into just me sobbing all over the place. So we need something to just kind of, you know, a palate cleanser every now and again. And that's why we're going to go to uh, uh, the the Adam Sandler vehicle, Big Daddy. Uh, but as we talk, we notice there are a few more um, uh, comparisons and similarities between the two. Uh, comparisons to be made and some similarities between the two films, aside from just the year they came out, which is 1999. Um, and yeah, I'm joined by, uh, author and music critic and really, really great person, Michael White, um, an old friend who, as you'll hear, we again, hadn't had a, an extended conversation for quite a while. And, uh, this was another great one. So I'm, uh, I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this one and I'll talk to you a bit more about how things went afterwards. Uh, but this is the film by Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, Magnolia, first and foremost, but of course, also as well, Big Daddy with Michael White here on Yours, Mine, and the Truth. everybody welcome back to yours mine and the truth my name is travis Washington. i am thrilled to be joined with a, a a friend who we were just trying to figure out the last time we saw each other again it's 20 years plus this is insane uh or it's got to be pretty close anyways uh this i'm thrilled to have a, a, someone i met at the the, the place i've met i've mentioned a number of times on this show virgin megastore when it was around and that was really really helped to shape uh, really, uh, I don't know if I've, I've ever told you this before. It really helped the shape. Uh, it was a big push for me in terms of what uh, uh, my art appreciation was when I uh, at Virgin. Anyway, this is a, <laughs> a, a, a author, music critic, a really, really awesome guy, uh, author of the the book Pop Kiss: The Life and Afterlife of of Sarah Records. This is Michael White. Mike, how are you? Very good. Thank you so much for uh, for having me. I'm honored to. Uh to be a guest and to reconnect with you after all these yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, like I said, I don't know if like, like 
I was, I've, I've said in my other uh, things is like when I was in theater school and I was around and I talked with a friend from theater school recently and it was, it was like, that was like, you know, the best times of our lives, right? We were right out of high school and around, around all us actors and we're all going to make it and, you know, and we've all got that special something. Actually, if I, if I may cut you off briefly, when we were working together at Virgin, yeah. uh, so I arrived at the store in October of 1999. Yeah. How old we are. Um, or, or rather, no, to my point, how old were you? At that time, October of 99, I would have been 21. I, would, I turned 22 in November. I would have turned 22 in November. Okay. All yeah. Right. So 22, I was 22 in this, when the films, well, 21 when one of the films came out that we're talking about today, and 22 and the other one came out. Okay. It came out right at the end of 99. Um, but yeah, so I, my art appreciation took a big jump when I started working at uh virgin because you know i i i never i've talked about this before i never really had the i, I didn't look for good music right i didn't know, like that just wasn't in in our in my head you know it was never it's not something it's just a simple thing that people would think to do but it was just not you know it, it, it felt simple afterwards i remember after i went to work in um um uh, in uh, food and beverage after that. And I remember it was kind of like, a, I talked about this last episode. It was kind of like a mirror image of what it was like when I first started at, at Virgin. And I'm like buying the first, I remember first day of uh, work, I'd bought a 5440 CD. Kind of like, yeah, check it out. Canadian rock, everybody. And I was like, who the fuck is this dork? You know what I mean? And it's slowly but surely, I'm like, oh shit, there's a whole world out there. And um, I remember, and I, remember the, I always say that, that sat really like this story when, we, when I had him on, when I said that about half the people we worked with were in bands, the other half were, or, or half of them were in bands or DJs, and of mm -hmm. them, about half were really good and half were not very good at all. <laughs> <laughs> but we can, and we can just leave that out to, if, if we have mutual friends, we can, we can, people can all kind of put in their heads which we ones we're talking about. probably be in agreement as to which fell into which camp. Yes, probably. <laughs> Anyways, uh, and you yourself, you really helped to shape, uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this, you really helped to shape my, my taste in music. I remember once, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, because you worked on a video with us, but I know that you were a music critic and you came from a, a rock uh, music uh, background and knew, knew way more about uh, just, uh, you know, other than the MOR shit that I knew. Um, and I remember once I asked you to pick me up, uh, pick me out one uh, one new CD and one like classic CD. I don't know if you can you remember this story. I have no recollection of yeah. this. This is fascinating. And you went, and I remember you came back. You couldn't decide between the 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 classic one, so you got me uh, "Songs in the Key of Life" and Marvin Gaye. What's going on? Huh. Uh, or you had picked that out for me. And then and then the the, the newer one was uh, "Lamb Chop Nixon." Remember "Lamb Chop." Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I remember really, really liking that uh, that album too. But but, God, man, songs in the key of life. We just went camping. It was played the the whole time. It's still a big, huge part of my life. You know, and and again, like, and this was, you know, as you said, ninety nine, and uh, I was just at that time. I was kind of a sponge, right? And so I was really happy to to get to know you at that point. Wow, I that's fascinating on so many levels. I mean, songs in the key of life was one of the first albums that I ever owned. Yeah. Um, I actually, I, I don't know if you saw this. I posted about this on Facebook, not six weeks ago, I think, mm -hmm. um, because it was the anniversary of the album's release. Uh, I saved up to, to buy songs in the key of life when I was seven. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's how young I was when I started uh, younger than that to yeah. acquire records. Um, but songs in the key of life was a double album. Yeah. 
very expensive. Yeah. By, by 1977 standards, it was something like crazy, like 798. Oh my God. And uh, <laughs> so I had to save for, for weeks and weeks and weeks of my probably 75 cent allowance uh, and probably birthday money to get that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, um, but, but I'm surprised that that's the one that I picked out for you because I wouldn't have thought that that album would be top of mind for me at that stage of my life. Mm. Um, my head at, at that time was in a very different area. So, so yeah. I'm, I'm glad I introduced that to you. That's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, we worked and we're not, we aren't here to talk about music. Right? That's true. <laughs> As I hear, I'm going to praise you. And now I'm going to go. Yeah. Now I'm going to go to the area, but I prefer to call my area of expertise. No. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, uh, so we were, we did end up working in the video section for a while. And at yeah. that time, yeah. uh, you know, we'd put movies up on the wall or put them up on, there was a big wall in the corner there. God, I can still remember it. Mm -hmm. A lot of VHS there. There was still a good VHS section when we <laughs> there. Yeah. It was all DVDs. But uh, I remember one of the movies that we would watch a lot, it was on a lot, because it would always make us laugh, was Big Daddy. Uh, yeah. Adam Sandler's Big Daddy. We loved yeah. it for a number of reasons. We'll get into that. Um, but we also had a real appreciate, appreciation for Paul Thomas Anderson and especially Boogie Nights. We were into Boogie Nights at the time and we were both uh, really excited about seeing uh, the next, the other, the main film we're going to talk about today. I'll explain why we're doing two in a minute. Uh, was Magnolia, which came out, I remember it came out like December 31st, I think, or like or December 23rd. Day, actually. Christmas Day on, uh, yeah. in uh, 1999, or in the year 1999, people still talk about like this, this, you know, big year when everything changed. I remember the, the Entertainment Weekly uh, making a big deal about that one issue making a big deal about 99 being a big year. And this was the one that came out at the end. Um, yeah. So where to begin? Basically, I, I mean, we both loved it. I remember you got to see it about a week before me. I saw it on, I did see it on New Year's Eve. And I remember just, I still had to work. I had just started my job at the country club. So I had to work a, a New Year's Eve shift that night too. But I remember just going to work and it just like, just having this kind of, weird kind of feeling because this feel, this is maybe i won't even say maybe this is the most important film of my adult life really uh, yeah yeah oh. and it hasn't you know i i it has like it's been 20 years now that's why that's why this might get real mike i mean there's a lot about this but um um yeah i remember at the time it really 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 hit me but i wasn't entirely sure why it was hitting me big time uh mm. except for one, one thing in particular i'll get to it um, and then over time, it's really kind of, wow, this is just, it's, it's informed me as, as I said, as an adult and as a human, but also as like an educator big time, um, you know, in a way kind of got me into teaching, uh, not, not directly, but you know, um, but yeah, so, so it's a real, real movie to me. I remember it meant a lot to you. Uh, when was the last time you saw it? Uh, three days ago, what, three days ago? No, but before that, before that. Um, prior to that, I was actually trying to think about it because when I, when I put it on, sorry, I guess it was more like five days ago because it was this past weekend. We're recording this on a Thursday. All right. Um, I'm glad, and you, I'm I, glad you I, fixed that. That was yeah. super important. But. <laughs> I could not recall yeah. um, the previous time I'd seen it because I, I, 
I think it probably goes without saying, this is not the kind of movie that you throw on a couple of times a year for shits and giggles. Nope. nope. Um, nope. You, you have to, number one, I think, at least, psych yourself up for it. And then you have to recover from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, it, it had been several years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, it, as I said, it had probably been about five years for me, or maybe a little less, probably a little less, probably about three or four years I'd taught it. Uh, not I, I, when I when I reach a good level of trust with my students, I, I, I taught it in a film class. Number one, it's trust because it's like get comfortable. But number two, it's just you know who wants to come and see this family melodrama? You know, are you ready for some family diet? You want some cancer? You kids want some cancer? <laughs> you know, it's just it's not it's. It's a tough sell, right? And but I did do it with like a kind of a career ed and like life's kind of sort out kind of thing too. I remember I had a really good relationship with that kid, <laughs> with those kids. I remember one. I'll tell you one student who one line in particular would still come up. Um, so I think, look, I mean, so basically, Big Daddy exists today in this conversation. To any time that maybe things get a little, I think I'm also going to find spots where I'm going to take a break, anyways, from a. Uh, from this opus, this three hour and five minute long opus, because mm. he, he knew where to put the breaks too, man. Like this thing is so, it's a song, man. It is a song and it is flawed. I, I do think it's flawed, definitely. And, and there are some un, untied strings, but in a way- Are you talking about Magnolia or Big Daddy? <laughs> oh, no, no, Big Daddy, uh, perfecto. No, no, no complaints. <laughs> Didn't really take any notes. No, I got it. I, but I'm, I, well, I, I want it to just kind of exist as a way to just kind of bring, bring, at least bring me back down, but we'll see, we'll, we'll see what happens here. So mm -hmm. I'm not promising anything this is not a head-to-head -head, anybody <laughs> uh there's just uh, a couple of movies that that me and mike had a lot of attachment to 20 mm. years ago um and uh and we're gonna get into it and see what we think now and we'll open with uh, magnolia directed by paul thomas anderson it came out in 1999 as we mentioned and it begins with these vignettes and that Ricky J narration, man. I, I, God damn. Rest in peace. Imagine if we could just have a Ricky J narration in your life. So good. He's so awesome, man. Did you ever see a documentary on him? No. And in fact, I did. This is, this is, you clearly know so much more about this movie than I do already. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that's already becoming apparent. I did not know that the narrator had any sort of reputation. Oh, really? Oh, Ricky no. Jay. Do you know who Ricky Jay is? I do not. Oh, he's a fascinating guy. Uh, he's a, he was a magician in the 70s, but he's also, uh, uh, like, he's, he's known for, you've probably seen, he was known for, like, throwing cards that stick into um, watermelons and things like that. Okay. Yeah, you might know if you see him. Anyway, and he plays the, uh, he plays the, like, uh, one of the, the producers on the show, or, one, like, on the floor stage managers on the show. He's, like, with the beard. Like, mm. uh, um, you know, I'll probably mention him uh, later. So it begins with these vignettes, and these are all real-life stories from a real-life book. Um, I can't remember the name of this book, but they reference this book more than once, of course. Um, and the number 82, uh, you, you know this, it shows up again and again and again. And, uh, and each one of these is shot in different ways. The first one is like, uh, it looks like it's like old-timey, like Wild West, old black and white, uh, different um, aspect ratio. And then it cuts to uh, 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 Patton Oswald, beloved. The first time we see Patton Oswald in this yeah. movie, he makes yeah. one and a half appearances. There's one, well, not even like uh, there's one line that Tom Cruise delivers that that um, was taken directly from a Patton Oswald stand-up, apparently. And even the way he delivers it too, he was instructed to do it in the way that Patton does in his stand-up. Because at this time, 
like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's always been a big comedy guy, as we'll, we'll uh, mention, and, and attachments to like comedy that most people wouldn't think an auteur would be into, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, especially at that time. Um, and <clears throat> so uh, he had this attachment to Patton, and there's some, a, couple, a couple other comedians uh, throughout here. Uh, he's a blackjack dealer that again, it's again, the deal, these weird, weird coincidences dealing with, again, he wants to, I, I need an eight, I need an eight. And he said, I, I need a two and that's an eight kind of thing. So again, these numbers keep showing up again, eight, eight, two, eight, two and the pain, whatever this whole tells these three stories, but there's an intense energy in these vignettes that builds. Um, it's a full on short film that is more disorienting than anything at the beginning. Uh, but I love that voiceover and, and, uh, it builds up to that. I, I, I would not like to think that this is just something that, that you can attribute to chance. You know, this is not just one of those things. And you can you can fee, hear the 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 kind of uh, crescendo behind him starting to build, um, yeah. and then just bang into our girl Amy Mann. <laughs> but before we get into, <laughs> I know you're going to tell this story. Before we get to that, um, I, any th thoughts on this uh, th this opening? Uh, I have often said that more happens in the first 10 minutes of Magnolia than happens in the entire duration of many other movies. Sure, sure. Um, and I think for that reason alone, uh, so I saw it opening night, I saw it Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've, it, I don't have this sort of conversation with people all the time, but um, I think the two most memorable movie-going experiences of my adult life, mm -hmm. uh, not counting when I was a kid, um, Husbands and Wives in 1992, uh, because that was the first, first movie that I recall going to see in a theater on my own that was inherently adult and very heavy and that dealt with themes um, that I was not yet familiar with yeah uh and it made a huge impression on me mm -hmm. uh and also was the last truly great movie that Woody Allen ever made uh th almost 30 years ago mm -hmm. um and then Magnolia and that is largely uh due to the impact of those first 10 minutes wow yeah um I remember thinking once uh once Amy Mann came in at the beginning of that roughly seven or eight minutes um it's not a montage, but that opening sequence. Yeah, I was going to get into that that next year, but we it opens with uh, Amy Mann uh, covering uh, Henry Nielsen's one. Was that who sang it originally? Somebody Nielsen. Harry, Harry Nielsen. Harry Nielsen. Pardon me. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So it just really. You know what I mean? How it's just like disorienting though. Like what the fuck was that? Especially cause it all, like it starts to get funny. Like it, it gets funny when it starts to draw like the chalk of the guy falling off the, uh, uh, like you hear like the chalk drawing his, uh, the outline of his fall, the guy who, the suicide yeah. jumper and stuff. Yeah. It, it and starts the, to get the, the woman in the, from the fighting couple shouting, shut the fuck up. Yes, and, yes, yes. And then there's the freeze frame. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I just remember thinking this is going to be amazing and this is going to be really happy. Mm -hmm. And I was mm -hmm. not wrong. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So from there it goes yeah we hear that amy man once and so we'll get this out of the way we love that soundtrack i mean the, uh, the whole the whole city of vancouver knows that i love that soundtrack yeah because the uh the 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 the, the vancouver province our local paper called us out of the book call and i i picked up and i like i i you know just with like a bright-eyed and bushy-tailed as as we know 
It's asking me about uh, asking me about the, this probably would have been early January. Asking me about the um, uh, about what I thought of the the Magnolia soundtrack. I thought it was I, my exact words. Could you, would you like to say my exact words? Mike? I'm not sure if I can remember. It was just something about everybody really loves it. You, yes. you'll, you'll remember exactly what it was. <laughs> something like it yes, thing, it's but. great. It's great. We all can't get enough of it. There we go. There we go. Yeah. And um, I was, I got into, yeah, it was print, into print and, and there's a, there was a strict rule that I had ignored there. And I guess I just got too excited. I, and normally I'm not a, you know, rebellious type or anything like that. And I think they knew that I'm just like, like deer in the headlights, but you're not supposed to comment on, uh, on uh, texts publicly if you are, uh, if you are um, a member of uh, Virgin Megastore. So there was a, yeah. there was a stern reprimand on the board. I didn't get any direct trouble, but I, yeah. we all knew it was for me. You said something so controversial. Yes. <laughs> Uh, a product that has proven to be very popular with the public. Yes. <gasps> what? Yes. Oh my God. Can he say that? <laughs> yeah, there is. So it begins with this montage uh, over underneath uh, Amy Mann's one. And again, it is just fast paced. And first we're introduced to Frank T.J. Mackey, played by, by Tom Cruise. And we see that he's this guru, which is super prophetic. We'll get more into his character. Oh my God. It really watching it this time even more so than the lat than when i watched it four times four years ago or whatever just thinking about how much that insult culture has grown and stuff right and how this oh my god like how ahead of his time uh this character was um but anyways it shows that he he runs a, a he has a, a some sort of commercial online where it's 1877 tame her where he's just like just uber misogynistic um guru that's supposed to help these, again, like incel types. Uh, later we see Claudia Gator, we're introduced to her and she's, right away we, we learn that it's sad. Like it's, she's not in a good place and she's just kind of alone, alone. Um, and from her, we learn about her, her dad, who's also, we kind of quickly learn that he's like this huge star, a huge like chestnut of like uh, hosts this game show that's been on forever called What Do Kids Know? And uh, played by the amazing Philip Baker Hall. I should also say Claudia Gator played by Melora Walters. There is not a, a bad performance in this. Um, uh, and then from there we learn who like the current uh, champ on, on What Do Kids Know is Stanley Spector played by Jeremy somebody I should remember. I don't know what happened to this kid. Unreal. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like a uh, really, real, real special performance here. I've got it here. Jeremy. Choo -choo 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 -choo, bull. Dang it, Jeremy Blackman, Stanley Specter. Uh, yeah, I don't know uh, what what else. I mean, maybe we'll look a little later here. Eventually, we meet uh, Donnie Smith, the uh, the the guy who was what uh, Stanley is now, like a few years back, but is now kind of a, a loser. He uh, crashes his car into a Seven Eleven. Hey, it's Quiz Kid Donnie Smith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, so you can tell he's a, he's a bit of a loser. Things aren't going so well for him. Uh, from then, we are introduced to Phil Parma, the great Philip Seymour Hoffman. We'll talk more about him for sure. Who's looking after Earl Partridge? He plays a, a, a caregiver, uh, like at-home nurse, looking after Earl Partridge, who we learn is uh, dying of uh, terminal cancer. Eventually, we we learn that he's married to a much younger woman uh, named Linda, Linda Partridge now, played by Julianne Moore. And then finally, we are introduced. Uh, at the end of this through his voiceover like kind of a uh, oh first through like it's a, he's leaving a P.O. box uh, he's leaving like a 
uh, a message for like a kind of uh, dating service, I guess, or something, right? And he said, if I, if I sound like somebody you might be interested in, uh, check box eight, two. I'm like, oh, God, they're just hitting us over the head with this eight, two. Um, Although I can't claim to have noticed that at the time. Oh, no, of course not. Of course not. Of course I'm not going to notice that at the first step. <laughs> I mean, I remember di I did notice some of the signs later, but I wouldn't have noticed all the little ones throughout. Um, uh, anyways, um, it ends with like he's doing a cop's voiceover and it, we, re we learn that he's the only one in the car. So it's kind of yeah. it's kind of a, a good reveal. It's, it's not it's not like a it's kind of a, huh, like not like not like you just like shit. But in the same time, at the same time, um, already we're seeing the, the loneliness in more than one of them. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so I think that's an important uh, uh, element that is introduced there quickly um yeah I, I i remember we read uh, there was a there was a rolling stone article that came out about paul thomas anderson around this time too can you remember that i do not you've really done not only do you have a better memory than me but you've you've done a lot more research yeah i think it's just because i keep coming back to it just because it's like it's been throughout my life that and when i have to teach it i go out and i try to find these things right okay. and i remember he had said that the a beatles uh the beatles a day in the life influenced this movie more than any movie huh. uh did because of the the builds and then the do, 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 and like kind of and crescendos and stops and and things like that and i said you start to see this right at the beginning here and that kind of thing but i, I I remember the the guy compared a little more to Eleanor Rigby, and you get that. That's why I mentioned it is because it's you start to see these lonely people. Mm -hmm. um, main film finally begins at about thirteen minutes in. Um, Jim uh, with Jim Curry and Marcy, uh, a high level of tension and comedy. Uh, uh, it's they give it this is this level. I remember the tension here right at the beginning. Here is similar to uh, not as intense, but the the tension in uh, in his previous film when they're doing the fake drug deal with Cosmo setting off firecrackers and Boogie Nights. Do you remember this with Alfred Molina? Yeah. Um, uh, so they really uh, bring you in here uh, quick. Um, uh, I like that actress a lot. I can't remember what her name is. Uh, we'll find it. Um, cuts to uh, Linda. We first meet uh, Julianne Moore here. She's talking with uh, Earl's lawyer. We see that she's an addict, uh, perhaps, and she's having a crisis of conscience. Um, we learn that he can uh, prescribe liquid morphine to uh, her husband, Earl, who we learn is dying, uh, played by uh, Jason Robart. This, uh, this is his last film role. Uh, yeah, again. how is it? that he was not nominated for anything. I know, I know. Everybody should have been nominated for this goddamn movie though. Yeah. I, I, am I, my, um, I think my favorite performance for a long time is Melora Walters, but I think it's changed over time. We'll get to it. Um, uh, so, so he, she, he learns that that being prescribed here, that, that uh, it's going to give him uh, liquid morphine. And um, at that point, it's a point of no return that, that he will, uh, he will eventually uh, fade off and pass away. Uh, and from that, we cut to um, uh, Earl and Phil. Again, Phil Parma. This is, I'll say right now, my favorite performance in the film, especially because of, I mean, we should talk about, let's talk about uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman um, and uh, tell, him, tell him the story, tell everybody the story uh, about when you were, uh, you were doing, a, you're doing a story on a, on a photographer, right? Yeah, I, I um, this this was when print media was still uh, a thriving industry. 
This, this is how long ago it was. Uh, I wrote a story for the Toronto Star about a celebrity photographer named Chris Buck, who was originally from Toronto, but relocated to New York City and has had uh, an incredible career, both as a celebrity and commercial uh, photographer. And he was, he was one of the loveliest people that I've ever interviewed, incredibly generous with his time. And um, he wanted me, this was actually his idea, to speak to one or two of the celebrities that he uh, had shot so that mm -hmm. they could talk about the experience of working with him, which I thought was a great idea and, uh, and a very generous thing of him to do because I had interviewed very many celebrities at that point in my career. So here was an opportunity to talk to a couple of A-listers, which I'd never done. And um, he was working his way through the list of various people that he'd shot and we began aiming high. Um, one of which was Philip Seymour Hoffman, even though it was quite early in his career. I think I was very keen on talking to him and it was clear that he was about to become something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For whatever reason, it didn't work out. The, he wasn't available at that time. Uh, we began working our way further and further down the list of celebrities that I might talk to. We're eventually at Sherry O'Terry. We can't get her. Um, and, I end up, and I end up talking to Cato Kalin. <laughs> Who, who was I didn't a know that part of the story. Yeah. He was an absolute fucking hoot, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And super nice. Yeah. I uh, had a great time talking to him. But um, so uh, I file the story. Mm -hmm. uh, I email it off to the Toronto Star. I leave my apartment for literally no more than 20 minutes to go and get a coffee. Mm -hmm. uh, I come back to my apartment. Uh, I have a physical answering machine because this is 20 years ago. Yes. And I have a message and uh, the message begins, oh, hey, Michael, this is Phil, Phil Hoffman. And um, it is a very uh, <laughs> drowsy sounding yeah. uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. uh, who leaves me a brief rambling message about the experience of, uh, of shooting with Chris. Because Chris shot him and John C. Riley. Uh, together uh, as some sort of, I think it was in Premier Magazine, mm -hmm. um, of the two of them pulling on one another's neckties in a playful fashion, nice. which Chris sent me a print of, and I have had framed in wow. every apartment that I've lived oh, in. That's so awesome. Yeah, uh, but but Philip Seymour Hoffman did not leave uh, his phone number, and this was before uh, call display, so right. I didn't get rats, rats, but. It was too late to incorporate his quote into the story because I'd already filed it. Yeah, but I remember you sent me, you called me and played me the, the message. And I appreciate that. And I remember when we learned that Philip Seymour Hoffman had passed away. Uh, of course, you were one of the first people I, I thought of. And you had messaged, uh, you had said something about it online uh, on Facebook or whatever. And I remember commenting on it. And I had said something like, people who know me know how much Magnolia means to me. And as it was some friend of yours who I'd never met. I'm like, oh my God, Travis, this girl's like, people who know me know how much Magnolia means to me. <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, um, that it, that his death hit me more than, than a lot of um, celebrity deaths normally do. I remember, um, uh, for, and a lot of it is because he's a, a Paul Thomas player, but a uh, Paul Thomas Anderson player, but. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I remember that was really cool that you that you played that for me. So I've been told, and I, like another thing with his performance, and because it's so understated, it didn't stand out to me at first, I suppose. Um, but this role of like a caregiver in this situation, apparently real life 
uh, caregivers say that he's just like, oh, that's it, man. That's it. That's the struggle right there. Um, uh, so we hear Earl mentions his uh, his his son for the first time, um, and he want, he calls for Jack, and this is and he kind of points out the trope. This is the first time they point out the trope of, uh, and this is a big thing that I've grown to love the, about this movie since um is that it starts to it, it's trying to resensitize you that's not a real word <laughs> it's not a real word i've looked it up it should be <laughs> it's fucking bullshit that that's not a real world word why can we be desensitized but we can't be resensitized but that's what he's trying to do like he's saying i know like oh i can't believe this is happening this is such a bullshit cliche the dying guy on the bed and all that like uh, calling for his long lost son and it cuts to uh um uh, the, 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 the space odyssey song. What's the name yeah. of that? Um, yeah. you know, and, uh, and, uh, and finally we revealed, uh, or it reveals Frank TJ Mackey at the start of this performance. Um, just a wild character. As I said, this is really prophetic to this insult culture and kind of what you see nowadays. Um, this is the toughest part of the, of the rewatch for me, man. Um, I remember this being so funny at the time and now like you just see this shit and just like jesus christ there are so much i can there you know that it just this is this is uh this is a growth industry for fuck's sake now at least it feels like um so he's it feels like he's no longer a caricature i don't know if he was a caricature at the beginning but it just felt more like oh god at least you know they're, they're taking an extreme approach to what could really happen if you have a shitty dad right um, but I, I don't think it is that extreme. Um, uh, yeah, so Guinevere enters for the first time. I like this actress a lot. Uh, April Grace. Um, she, she's interviewing him. <laughs> and it, it, this is one of the jokes. Again, still, it just kind of makes you laugh just because of how just fucking extreme misogyny it is. He walks past, he just walks past. It's just a throwaway line on the on the the screen behind him, how to turn that friend into your sperm receptacle. <laughs> just awful. <laughs> just awful. Anyways, so we see Phil trying to contact Frank for the phone book. No luck. Um, and the film begins to concentrate on these two stories for a bit. Um, the, and then we get this, that monologue from, uh, again, uh, I, I dressed up as Frank T.J. Mackey. I won the Virgin uh, Halloween I, the, the I following remember that. I remember that. It was a hell of a costume. It was. It was. Um, <laughs> ridiculous. But like this monologue that he gives about on the 1st of May, we celebrate V-Day. And it's just so vile, man. And he's just so casual after he's, after he's given just this, just this, you know, a general patent like monologue of, of just just women hating and owning and and, and talking shit and he's like now he just this is like so good uh, uh tom cruise's performance how he's like uh, and don't forget like or how it's good to have some chick friends around because they can be good for setting jealousy traps we'll get to that later like just just a throwaway line that's so good man he's like here he's cooking right and he's cooking but the character is cooking too because this is like he's in his element and things are going well right it's really yeah. good it's important that we see this now because not only is it introducing us to this uh, thing and the, the the banner behind him and everything, seduce and destroy is the name of the the, the company. Um, uh, it's good that we're introduced and seeing him him like okay, you can like here's this 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 guy 
who's become really big at, at the top of his game, I guess, if that's what you want to call it. Um, and uh, so from there, we cut to Claudia, who's waking up next to a stranger and her dad, Jimmy's at the door, played by Philip Baker Hall. Uh, she is right away, she is hateful and like venomous to him. And I think we are, even though we both, we kind of know he's not the best guy right now, we're meant to, we pity him and we kind of hate her early on. Everyone I've watched this with, especially when I watch this with young girls, they are shocked, especially when I watch, because I, I teach at an international school, right? To see a, a, a girl talking to her father like that is really shocking to, um, uh, you know, in some parts of the world, as you can imagine. Uh, yeah, as I said, Melora Walters was my favorite performance at first, and she still breaks my heart. She really does. She's so good in this. Um, this is so hard to watch. Just the you can see her bleeding in this scene, just for such a quick little, you know, she's she's getting to ugly spots. Um, at least it feels like. Um, I, I want to build up here to this first break because we got to introduce our other goddamn movie. Uh, uh, Donnie is Donnie Smith is running into work late. Uh, we see Alfred Molina, uh, again, in a, I guess a really good performance, but should we say now is, would this be considered a problematic performance? Because we're going to get to another performance in the other movie that I think is probably problematic. And if we're going to not mention it in that one, should we mention it here? He's playing a Middle Eastern man. Yeah. That hadn't even crossed my mind. I know. I don't know. It's great. I mean, they're both yeah. hilarious. I love that they're both, it's yeah. called Solomon and Solomon. Yeah. I know, it's tough. <laughs> I know. Um, uh, we learned, and he's learned that, he's learning that they're basically going to fire him and it's the worst timing because he needs oral surgery. He's like, you don't want oral, yes. oral surgery. Remember when you were struck by lightning and Tahoe? <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> well, you're going to have metal in your butt. That's the first, he's thinking about his well-being. Really, he's thinking, I don't want to give you any money, right? Um, yeah. uh, I love, he's like, when, when, when the way William H. Macy plays this, come on, Solomon. And he'll be like looking up at the other guy, but you know both of the, he calls them both by the same name. You know that, like they're both yeah. being been told to call them <laughs> Solomon. Um, I love the little touches with like the way the logo looks later at the end. Please keep, keep door lock at all times. That's so... Oh, and the way it's written, that's so, like, yeah, like the little things, man. Um, we hear uh, we hear Amy Mann's uh, driving uh, sideways here, kind of muffled, but we know that, right, we learn that things are not going well at Donnie's job here. And we cut to a crime scene uh, from the opening uh, with uh, Marcy, and, and we notice that Jim Curring is kind of uh, being ignored. I feel like I should mention now that he is really there as like the symbol of, cause he's the one who's not directly related to everybody in this, but he does end up kind of popping in there. And he represents this kind of Christian ideal. He does, he's like, there's, there's Christian overtones in him. He's meant to be the Christian overtones. And I don't think, Paul Thomas Anderson is not like this. He's not trying to, to you know, this isn't, this isn't meant to come out here and say, now go to church or anything like that, right? I think he's, I think he's saying, this is the best we've got right now in, in our part of the world, like is to kind of hope for like this kind of someone who has this kind of background. And I don't, I, I've never really gone too deep into what he's trying to, cause his initials are JC at the very beginning. He's uh, he's like that cross is behind him. He's kind of praying to a cross, you know, he's really put off by bad language. Um, it's interesting. Um, anyways, uh, but he's, he's a joke. He's kind of ignored on this scene and he runs into this black kid outside who, and this black kid 
this is one of those loose ends that isn't really tied up, even though they, they yeah, do kind of return true. to him. Um, he wraps up, he basically wraps out the plot of the film and the theme of the film to some extent. He tells them what's going to happen. Um, uh, and, but we hear the name The Worm, and this, is what, this was a, a somewhat unfinished thread. And I've, I, I have the uh, Magnolia uh, official screenplay, which has a really great interview in the back of it. Um, and it, it does get, it does kind of get into it a bit more. And again, it's just expanding on the themes of shitty dads and things like that. Uh, it was Orlando Jones. Orlando Jones was, was supposed to, was playing a uh, uh, worm in this and I guess shot scenes. Um, I think you see some of it in the, uh, did you watch, you watch that documentary that came with the, yeah. Yeah. I think you see a bit of him there. I mean, you, you might not have uh, recognized him or, or maybe doesn't really cut to him that clearly. Um, Here's the other thing I noticed here too. He's responding in ways that are super racist. <laughs> I don't think I would have noticed that at the first time either. He's like, hey, Coolio, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, or like homeboy, you know what I mean? Um, like, I, I interpreted that more as him being, um, he's, a, he's a sort of Ned Flanders character. I know, I know, he is, he is, he is. But, but I think- cool. He's trying to speak to the kid on a level you know, that he thinks yeah right i think it's a, it's a naive racism but i think it's a racism nonetheless i think he uh i i tried i, I kind of maybe kind of picked up on that a bit this time i think i think we'll get to it later i think i think there might have been he might have been playing a bit of that in this i mean look look the, the term toxic masculinity did not exist uh or was just not no. widely practiced at this time maybe it didn't exist i don't know many things did not exist in 1999 yeah, but but there's been stories uh that, that's one of the most recent really great um uh analyses of this uh film uh was one like really talking about how it approaches toxic masculinity which it does of course right um uh anyway so so I don't know. I, I, I think there's another part later where I start to like, I think that like, I think, you know, he's like, he, he's not ignoring it. I think he's saying that it's just, again, part of this, this world, uh, that, that, uh, you know, black folks are getting a shitty deal from cops. I don't think, I don't think, you know, maybe it's just on my mind more, but I, I think it is in there. Um, anyways, we cut to Stanley Spector, the, the super smart kid, the, the current whiz kid, reading about um, just famous children. And John Bryan's score here starts to become more prominent. We should talk about that. It's really great. Um, it's great throughout. Uh, here it starts to just kind of, it's, it's mostly just um, kind of a bouncy violin here to kind of bump, 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 to kind of like, it, it's like they're starting to pick up the pace. This is what I mean. It starts to feel like a song. And this is maybe that kind of crescendo, like a day in, uh, day in the life, right? Um, here's a wild, steady cam shot that rivals the boogie nights opening here that follows uh the kid into the thing this is really interesting you can really split up the two uh the way paul thomas anderson movies are sh are shot into two separate uh kind of groups there was everything up to uh punch drunk love where he's just moving all over the place and not sitting down and then everything since then just like, in in not moving at all and like in really close just in really close on everybody right um mm. um and and you know and you know the i don't i don't really prefer one over the other i this is probably still my favorite yeah it still is my favorite uh paul thomas anderson movie um uh yeah um but yeah so again go ahead I just want to comment on the camera style. 
Mm -hmm. um, all of those tracking shots that he uses, particularly in Boogie Nights and Magnolia. Yep. If you see um, any interviews with, with P.T. Anderson from around that time, he has so much nervous energy. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. He is, and I don't know, I mean, he's in Hollywood. Maybe he's coked up. I don't know. Maybe. I think at, at the time of this documentary, I think he's coked to the fucking gills. <laughs> yeah. but he's also got so much fucking creative energy. Yeah. Um, when you consider that he wrote um, Heart Eight, Boogie Nights, uh, Magnolia before he was 30. I know. Um, a kid. Number one, it makes me feel like a failure. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I feel like that camera style is a reflection of the energy Big that, time. that he had. Yeah, yeah. Um, he is not sitting still and neither are his movies for yeah. a second. Yeah, especially at that time because he's just right out of the gate um, just yeah. trying to kind of come running, man. Um, so we were introduced to Stanley's dad here. Uh, he's a huge prick, huge prick. Yeah. Uh, and the first time we hear people talk about the rain, we say cats and dogs out there. And then we hear somebody's, and again, like that's a kind of foreshadowing, but also someone says, uh, yeah, is it that El Nino? Is that what they call it? But that, again, I think that's meant to be another kind of, he's starting to call attention to the themes because El Nino means the boy, right? Nothing means, nothing, nothing is a throwaway line in this, even though it feels like it, even when there's a line that, that, that last monologue of Robarts, uh, it's meant to go on forever, you know? Um, uh, so they're on the air in 20 minutes. Uh, Jimmy calls his wife. He's drinking heavily. Um, Jim Curry uh, pulls up to, or yeah, Jim Curry pulls up to Claudia's house. He's playing Amy Man's uh, Momentum, probably my favorite song on the on the soundtrack. What about you, sir? My favorite song on the soundtrack. Oh my god. Um, I, I'm putting you on the spot, but this is just like one of my favorite Amy Man songs. Period. I, I have to. I have to say that this is not an original answer by any means, but it would it would be wise up. Yeah. Um, sure. That, that's not a song that I go back to uh, a lot because mm -hmm. it's emotionally devastating. And I, I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. but, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, no, that's, that's a song that means to destroy you. And, mm -hmm. uh, and it's succeeding. <laughs> it's an accomplished. Uh, yeah. So it's, that momentum is just blaring loudly in her, her uh, apartment. She's doing coke and she panics when she hears a knock at the door. She's all over the place. She's super frantic because she's uber coked up. Uh, yeah. Linda is all, uh, cut back to her. She's continuing to lose it here. They're starting to pick up. Here's where we're starting to cut back from all these stories again, quicker and quicker here. Um, she gets her own meds. Phil is flipping TV channels. Uh, and he comes, uh, onto like a porn channel. That's where he starts getting an idea. Uh, and then we're in, first we're introduced to the team on what do kids know? I love that set so much, man. It's so well done. Uh, Phil makes, uh, so, uh, here Phil Farmer makes a grocery order over the phone. Uh, I love that scene too. That's a hilarious yeah. scene where he orders the peanut butter. Like, and also really dates the movie too. I know, yeah. To have to order uh, paper porn over, over a phone. <laughs> really does. Um, uh, so, so here we see uh, uh, Frank hits the intermission um, uh, and, and like he, he's, he's, fire, he's all firing in all cylinder and tells him like, oh, we'll be right back after the intermission. And he goes to the back and he's, he's becoming primal. 
but it's also uh, it's performative, which is a, a key distinction, right? Like it really is performative because he's found a way to, to kind of yeah, like kind of feed off that energy and and just give them what he wants. It is primal, but it's still very performative, as we'll see. Um, and then we see Donnie Smith uh, hearing here the first time. No, I guess we heard him earlier when he crashed into the into the 7-Eleven. He is always playing Gabriel's dreams in his car at all times, which is such a perfect choice, man. It's what I love about Paul Thomas Anderson at, at that time. I'm sure he still does, but you can really see a great sense of humor that he had in his, at, at this yeah. point. Um, like I remember when, when I first heard, uh, all right, this is You Got the Touch, Take One. I'm like, there's no way this is going to be the song from Transformers the movie. But then sure enough, it was. And, and that was fucking hilarious, right? Um, uh, and, the, and this Gabriel's Dreams is such a funny touch. Like, that was so of the time. Who, what the type of song that that guy would be listening to? Uh, Goodbye Stranger hits on the pub. Where there's two Super Tramp songs. And I'm trying to figure out why Super Tramp. It matches. It fits. Why Supertramp? I, I mean, I feel like, or at least why, why two Supertramp songs? And yet they work. They do work. They do work. They really do. Um, and the lyrics are reflective of what's going on in the movie at the mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the logic. And again, again, when they're having their conversation. Yeah, yeah. it really does. Uh, okay, it's just, a, uh, it's just an inch. Like I, that band in particular. It's just such an interesting choice. I guess it fits in, in, like a, in a, that kind of pub, right? Yeah. Um, it, uh, again, camera pans all over, finishes on a slight tilt, which I think is meant to kind of show this isn't quite right. Uh, Donnie sees the bartender for the first time and he notices yeah. his braces because he's like, oh my gosh, I'm getting braces too. So he's like double in love with this, like it's love at first sight. Uh, and then old guy at the end of the bar, played by Henry Gibson, who uh, was from, you know, laughing. Um, uh, he's like an actor, was around forever, actor, singer, songwriter um in his and is excellent in this he, the name of his character is thurston howell which is so bizarre um <laughs> like so bizarre like I, I, I wonder if he's just fucking with us here because because he's there man he exists just as a guy to like let's now let's have a conversation about the theme of this film you know what i mean I, I, you you do know who thurston howell is right yes from uh, gilligan's island yeah so he's like the millionaire like but yeah. he just represents like throughout this conversation, uh, you know, the older generation, the older generation who wishes to uh, exploit young people, right? And also, I think um, an older gay man who comes from a generation in which it, it was, I'm speaking too slowly, I'm sorry. No, I love um, it, man. In which you were expected uh, you expected your desires to be thwarted. And, um, wow. and he, he's, he's lived through that experience of uh, not being able to get what you want. And he's mm. indifferent to it. And I think he feels pity for Donnie, but he's also jaded as fuck. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Interesting, fascinating. Of course, I'm not going to get, I mean, I would not have that perspective. Um, He's hanging out in the snake bar, and he's just, he, his friends are probably all dead. <laughs> he's making a joke of everything, because if he doesn't, he's going to kill himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wild. Um, 
but but he uh, they, Donnie immediately sees him as a rival and orders tequila after he had ordered a, a diet coke. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cut to Claudia still panicking. Uh, he answers the door. I love uh, um, uh, John C. Riley's reaction here. He's in love right away. Yeah. Um, um, uh, he drops the nightstick down the stairs. Uh, Brian's music is still keeping the pace. Um, long wide shot of the two of them where they, t- I love that one that they're really far apart from each other, but they have this conversation It amplifies the this distance and the awkwardness. Uh, we cut to Stanley and kids walking to the set, uh, uh they offers kids, uh, drinks, uh, they, uh, the kids are really in it for the money. Stanley needs to go to the bathroom. That's established early here. This yeah. is so harsh, man. This is so harsh. He just wants to go to the fucking bathroom. Uh, Louise Guzman enters and he's talking, he's telling his fellow competitors. He's one of the, one of the, uh, he's a Paul Thomas Anderson player at this time. Uh, and, and he's, uh, he's coming out with the other adults talking about what his two, uh, his two areas of expertise are. It's like milk and sports, milk and sports, anything baseball, anything dairy related. He's telling them milk and sports. And there's some deleted scenes from this where he does get some milk and uh, it's, uh, he, or he asks for a, mil- a glass of milk because this guy loves milk. That's such an awesome character touch. <laughs> um, so uh, Jimmy Gator's about to go out. He says, I'm fucking hammered, Bert. He's a mess. Uh, William H. Macy and um, again, uh, Thurston Howell here uh, have this uh, conversation. It's really meant to be symbolic of the themes of the film. I think it's important that it's happening at this time because we've all kind of got into this okay like okay we're getting to know everybody we're starting to see some similarities about how they're connected but we're not entirely sure and these guys are talking about uh speaking about the innocence of a child um we see uh from there we cut to linda at the drugstore um she's feeling uh, super judged by the pharmacist that's really harsh too like i can this all feels like again this is a really personal film to paul thomas anderson because he had seen his dad die of cancer uh, and it was painful, um, uh, you know, awful, it sounds like. And um, so you get the idea that a lot of these are like real life experiences, a lot of these little things along the way here. Um, uh, so Stanley's dad uh, is talking about be- talking to the other parents, watching back. He talks about being subtly abusive. You got to be subtly abusive. Like he's so casual about it. Like, what a fucking prick. Um, and here's the first time like as these guys are starting to talk about the theme but we still aren't quite entirely sure of, as to what it is we hear um uh philip baker hall or yeah just as jimmy gator about before he's about to go up it's like as the book says we may be through with the past but the past ain't through with us and that's the first time where it's really kind of okay all right yeah this is this is uh we're, we're dealing with daddies here <laughs> we're, we're dealing with with uh the sins of our fathers um, song crescendos and cuts out as the game show begins. Uh, um, this is why I, yeah. Um, and that is like, basically at that point right there is exactly like the one hour mark. <laughs> okay. So here's where I think we should introduce our other movie. I hope you're comfortable, everybody. This one really could run long. I appreciate it, Mike. I hope maybe we'll, we'll cut this into two parts if it goes too long. I don't know, but I'm, I'm having a good, Oh wait, I'm looking at this right now. His, his initials are, Jim Curring, so JK, so forget about the JC initials. Um, anyway, so we're back to Big Daddy, came out the same year, 1999, directed by Dennis Dugan, starring uh, Adam Sandler. We uh, really, really liked this movie. We watched it a lot. Uh, at uh, It was always on at the wall. I mean, we didn't love it. We didn't have a, a, a deep and profound attachment to it like we did with Magnolia, <laughs> but I remember there were certain scenes that would make us piss our pants, and we really, really liked Adam Sandler. Um, 
And I remember in that Rolling Stone interview, surely you must remember this, that we felt like this kind of moment of vindication because we, were, we loved Magnolia and we loved watching Big Daddy. And, some, and uh, at one point, Paul Thomas Anderson says, are you aware of Adam Sandler? I mean, are you truly <laughs> fucking aware of what this kid is capable of? And both of us were like, oh my God. Eh! And then he ends up making Punch Drunk Love and we went to that together. Um, so it was just like this kind of like, you know, chocolate and peanut butter um, moment <laughs> for us. Um, so, okay, we'll get quickly into this. Uh, Big Daddy uh, opening establishes this character of Sonny being played by, again, the man child that, that Adam Sandler would play in a million different movies. Um, uh, He's on a situ. He's on a. Uh, it really establishes his character in a situation on a quick phone call with his dad, and that he's he doesn't work. He's he's got he made a bunch of money after a, a car ran off over his foot or something. Um, we learned like, his girlfriend is, doesn't have a good relationship with him, but he says yeah, the delivery guy is your best friend, and that, oh, that made me smile there because I remembered Rob Schneider's performance in this film. Here's the thing: Rob Schneider's a piece of shit in in real life now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's he uh, and again super problematic performance. I think I think this is the one would get pointed out first. Like, oh hey, look at this! They got to take Big Daddy off the air now. You know, like all this kind of garbage. Yeah. Or whatever. But you know, I I, I think fucking Molina's playing Middle Eastern guy as well. So it, it was good for the goose. Um, um, anyways, uh, so there's, there's uh, two lines. Uh, uh, ba, 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 ba. He works at the toll booth, uh, but um, it's, uh, oh, he comes home, uh, like he's just a bum. He comes home, for, there's a surprise party that's not for him, but it's for John Stewart, who's a, like all of his buddies are, um, uh, lawyers they're all like like really successful lawyers and it sounds like he could have been one but he's but he's lazy um and <laughs> they waste the good surprise on him and his his roommate who he hates and this is the hooters joke did you get sick of it no no me neither me neither i didn't i didn't hate it i didn't hate that he that he just kept hitting her with it um um she says you wasted the good surprise on you and the, just the way he reacts to this and kind of goes all right i love that yeah, yeah. and and i i have to say because I, I haven't seen that movie for i know well over a decade yeah longer than that i think actually mm -hmm. and um i didn't realize it was leslie mann yeah no shit hey this is probably sure really was, early yeah. really known no yeah no. that was a big surprise to me when i came back to it yeah um joey lauren adams shows up my god what happened to joey lauren adams she's adorable and I've wondered that every now and again. She yeah. did disappear. What's that? She did truly disappear. Yeah, I know. Hey, um, I wonder. I wonder what's up. Oh, but you know, wait a second. I think when uh, Clerks and uh, all those Kevin Smith movies Basically, were made through uh, were made through um, uh, the, the Weinstein Company. Maybe that had something to do with it. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Um, anyways, or, or you know, maybe she just she just didn't want to act anymore. Like, we shouldn't presuppose, yeah. <laughs> presuppose all this bullshit. Um, all right, so gay kiss from friends at the time, nicely progressive. Um, because especially the way that uh, that Sandler uh kind of played that's, that's what gay guys do, they kiss, right? Yeah, however, there's the, the, the homophobic buddy, they never pay off, they don't pay that joke off. You know what I need? That's what that needed. Like, it's always just kind of, okay, yeah, we get it. He's homophobic again. How is he going to, if you're going to keep making that joke, I think it had, it needed, uh, he needed something at the end there. Uh, that's me speaking uh, as a, you know, from my perspective here as a, as a joke teller, you know what I mean? Fuck about being 
forget about taking a, uh, 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 you know, a, a homophobic character. Because again, he's played up like a fool at the beginning. Like he's told, okay, you're ignorant for this. But then from that point on, it's just like, all right, this is, you know, I guess he's not that because he just keeps doing it. He's not really learning from it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know I what I mean? Like I feel really change, or at least it takes them a lot longer. I suppose, but I still think, yeah. Hey, this movie cut to like a year and a half later. Here's what here's how it should have ended. It should have ended with him introducing his boyfriend to those guys at the <laughs> at the party at the end there, or something like that. You know what I mean? Something like that. I I have another good finish. Uh, a scene that they should have thrown at the end of this movie. Anyways, um, um, uh, like uh, John Stewart wants to propose to the, the, the Sonny's roommate who he hates, and he's you're not proposing, are you? He just ruins it. He calls her Big Boobs McGee in a, in a conversation <laughs> on the outside. How often did John Stewart act? Is this it? It was that he was in depth to Smoochie. That's right. Which I actually thought was a pretty good movie. I know a lot of people love that film. I never saw it. Yeah, yeah. I was I was actually really shocked by the hostile reaction to it. Um, hmm. I saw an advanced preview and I thought, well, that that was hilarious. <laughs> and then it came out the following day, and it was this is this is a disaster. Um, yeah, I should sink anyway, uh, yeah, that one out. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah, not Hooters joke. Uh, we wasted the good surprise. He says he makes a joke to her the next morning. He's such an asshole. We wasted the good surprise on you. He's still rubbing it in her face. Uh, and the kid shows up, played by yeah. the twins, Cole and Dylan Sprouse, now fucking Jughead, yep. one of them. And, and like, you want to talk about if we were shitting on somebody earlier, who are we shitting on earlier? Somebody's not a good person. Anyways, uh, D Dylan Sprouse well, is, a, is, is a, is a, what's that? Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider, of course, yes. Dylan Sprouse, this guy's fucking getting arrested at Black Lives Matter. This guy walks the walk, man. He's, he's, uh, he's a real dude. Uh, at least, uh, you know, he's out there. He's not sitting on his, in his ivory tower, so to speak. Um, <laughs> I stood next to Cole Sprouse at an intersection last fall. Ah, awesome. Uh, we drove past the, uh, we drove past the, 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 the Riverdale um the pops tate shoulder shop after our camping last weekend <laughs> okay. it's out in like maple ridge or something isn't it did you watch that did you stick with that show riverdale yeah i've never seen an episode really but you were an archie i know you love the archies i was a massive fan of the uh the cartoon but yeah but you can't compare the two does it, there it does are references there's a there's a they, like uh, again somebody uh, there's a drug called Jingle Jangle. Yes, like yes, yes. That's what I was gonna say. I've read all about it. <laughs> I, Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, we watch it at the beginning. We're kind of into it. But after a while, I'm like, this is this is what this is. Eh? It's not gonna. <laughs> it's just gonna be this kind of uh, dark kind of whatever. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, I just kind of for me, it overplayed its welcome. Um, I don't like change. So <laughs> that's 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 my justification. Got it. I got it. All right. So the kid shows up, as I said, uh, at, but, uh, and then Adam Sandler's on the phone and the kid won't say, won't, won't say who he is, but he's on the phone with, he doesn't want to give away that he's talking to John Stewart here. It's my uncle. It's my friend, my uncle Remus. He's like, yes, uncle Remus, the catfish are huge. I love that. Uh, <laughs> good chemistry right away with the two I'm noticing here with uh, Sandler and uh, uh, Sprouse. That's, that's what, what makes this movie is when they're together. Uh, it's like often do the 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 rollerblade scene. We learn this uh, the kind of you wipe your own ass. Then that's great. The way he's kind of here's we're kind of introduced to it. The way this is what we loved. I remembered at the time is the, the way he talks to this kid like they're the same age. Like they're just a couple of dudes hanging out. That's that's what 
I think, and it still works for me in this movie. There's a lot of just shit in this movie, but that's what, that's what one thing that really works. Um, at least I thought. Uh, they're watching Columbo with Schneider. You got uh, something you want to add, sir? Yeah, uh, no, just I remember also one of the things that we agreed about, uh, about Adam Sandler as a result of watching this movie is that Adam Sandler, and I think that this is probably something that P.T. Anderson liked about him as well, he swears with more authority than just about anybody else yeah. I can. Yes. It's hilarious and it's, it's, yeah. it's full of conviction. Yeah, I remember when Paul Thomas Anderson. Finds, yeah. When he finds out that breakfast is over and he's like, oh, <laughs> we're going to get to that. <laughs> it's magic. It is. It is. I remember Paul Thomas Anderson had mentioned his performance in the sketch of Silent Live for the Denise show. Do you yeah. remember that? Like when he really, that's when he really noticed like, okay, there's something going on behind this guy's eyes here. Yeah, this isn't just a, a goofy yeah. dude. The, um, the latent rage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're introduced to Scuba Steve, this little uh, uh, toy that uh, the kid loves. And uh, uh, Schneider said he once had a cat who bit the head off of uh, one of these things. And the, and the <laughs> Sprouse is like, what kind of cat would do something like that? And like Schneider does not respond well to this. <laughs> Are you calling me a liar? Like he's ready to fight this kid. <laughs> I love that response. And like, what's his name? I have to get him to calm down. Uh, it takes him to the pub to watch football. Mr. Hurley, he drinks a lot of soda. We're introduced to Mr. Hurley. He's the one who, you know, so pick and fights the old drunk. Um, uh, they're up uh, chatting until 2.30 in the morning. He's up chatting until 2.30 in the morning with this kid. So we had a really great time. And then a day later, right away, he's like, I'm thinking about keeping the kid, just too much. Uh, uh, and he's initially doing it to impress his girlfriend because he wants to keep her around. Um, I, oh, I this is a funny line when they had to go to the, uh, when they had to, they, they had to go to the bathroom, but the guy wouldn't let him think. So this is like uh, kind of on the poster where they pee on the side of the wall. And he's like, this line, or they pee on the side of the restaurant. He has to go with them. I think this is from this. He says, that's a shitload of piss. <laughs> I hadn't heard that line before. I don't think I'd noticed that before. So they get up early to go to McDonald's. Uh, as I said, they're tying shoes. The kid is extremely likable. He's not over the top uh, cutesy wootsy ever at any right. point in this, I don't think. Um, I, I love uh, on, the, on the walk here, he's telling him the origins of, of McDonald's breakfast. Everyone's like seeing uh, sausage. Are these sausages? Are they hamburgers? What is this? Like he's trying to get the kids so excited about this walk there. And they run into Steve Buscemi as a homeless person. Steve Buscemi like, would show up in these Happy Madison movies all the time. Like he's just, uh, would always go there and just steal every scene he's in. Um, and he tells this great story about what a mess he is. Like, uh, again, really good conversation with uh, him and the kid. Uh, and they go into McDonald's, as you mentioned, uh, it's, it's too late. And this is what we loved about it. This is, I think, where we'll, where we'll stop here with, uh, with Big Daddy and go back to Magnolia. I remember we loved this line so much, the way he's like, he's like, okay, they make it just in time. He's like, he's like uh, what do you want? He's like, um, Cheerios. And he's like, okay, they don't have Cheerios. What else do you want? Lasagna. And, and the kid says lasagna. And, and just the way that um, Adam Sandler just kind of looks away from the kid towards the menu. He's like, lasagna, what the hell's the matter with you? He's like... <laughs> because <laughs> he's trying to talk to him i've been trying to talk to you like a regular human being and you're ordering lasagna and a mcdonald's for breakfast what the fuck we are on a time crunch here uh great yeah again and that, that definitely popped me again uh watching this again so we return back to magnolia and the game show we see the game show crowd as as uh it's finally uh, the show has begun we see an exodus 8-2 sign is taken from a crowd member 
Uh, as I said, this game show set is awesome. Uh, the score picks up again as we rapidly flip, flip from character to character. Um, quiz to Donnie Smith, uh, or Marcy, pardon me, is, is interrogated. I, I, Macy and Marcy, you can, you can see why my chicken scratch might cause confusion. Uh, they ask about the worm, her son and, uh, and we hear a grandson mentioned here too. It's, it's, it's kind of confusing. It's coming quickly. Uh, Phil flips through the magazine and finds Frank's number, the team in uh, the 1877 team, her. Uh, Stanley starts, uh, cuts to Stanley's just really getting answered right after. Bang, bang, bang. He starts kicking ass in this game show. Uh, uh, it's pouring rain as Phil speaks with somebody on the phone, um, but he's having a hard time getting to. But I love this scene so much uh, as they're like the slow push in to, to Phil on the phone. And from there, it cuts to Frank T.J. Mackey's interviewed and his parents have come up. So it's kind of like this kind of synchronicity where you're starting to really see this hint of weakness in, in Cruz's performance as he lies about them, right? And he asks for coffee. That's such a tell, you know, like he's starting to get a little uncomfortable. But he's still trying to keep up this fucking macho front that is... God, he's so fucking weak. You just you can see him start to get weaker and weaker and weaker as this interview goes. Uh, the young pharmacist again is questioning um, Linda about her drugs. She freaks out finally. This feels like this hysteria is underneath her, just just bubbling underneath her. This whole fucking performance, right? That must have been so draining <laughs> to to have, like, because she is so great, right? But and that is so real. It feels so real when she when she when she hits when she's like fuck you and just like and you suck my dick. I love. There's nothing better than a woman saying suck my dick. I, I'll, I'll always. I wonder how Julianne Moore felt when P.T. Anderson approached her um, after having written the script for Magnolia, and said, "So I've got a part for you again, and you're you're going to be a coquette again, okay?" Yes. <laughs> Shit, no kidding. I or, no, no, it's, you're not coke anymore. You're just like a really bad addict. You're addicted to like the worst kind of prescription drugs. I don't even really think we explain what it is, but it's bad. <laughs> True. Oh, and sorry, I just have to interject with one thing. When yeah. I watched when I watched Magnolia this past weekend, I noticed a little grace note of uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance that I never noticed before. Yeah. Um. Virtually, whenever Phil is not talking, his mouth is open. Hmm. His mouth is hanging open just in this um Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's something too. Uh, just sort of incredulous, uh, overwhelmed, confused. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's really, really clever. I'm, I'm willing to bet it was conscious. That, oh yeah, conscious choice, for sure, for sure. Yeah. You know, just the way that, that, like, oh God, this guy's a chameleon, the, the different roles that he would take on and do the, the, the little things to, to make them that much more realistic for sure yeah that is awesome um so we're back to him on the phone and this is that again that real resensitization and they're pointing out the tropes where it's just like this is the big thing that really got me this this scene i didn't cry this time watching it um but this used to always make me cry especially uh second third fourth fifth sixth time watching it right this is a scene that would always get me when he's like he was like see this is the scene in the movie where you help me out like that is so so real man and there's a there's a um i wanted to mention this kind of the, from this interview here where um uh paul thomas anderson mentions what just what he was going for and it's like this idea of like it's something that happens um and it, it ties to this is like it's the simplest uh, expression of a truth it did happen so I'm a film geek. I was raised on movies and there come these times in life where you just get to a spot where you feel like movies are betraying you, 
where you're right in the middle of true painful life. Like say someone could be sitting in a room somewhere watching their father die of cancer and all of a sudden it's like, no, this isn't really happening. This is something I saw in terms of endearment. You're at this moment where movies are betraying you and you resent movies for maybe taking away from the painful truth of what's happening to you. But that's exactly why those moments show up in, in, in movies. Those things do happen. Um, I remember that just deeply, deeply resonated with me, that idea, um, I, kind of more as I, as I watch. Um, uh, and and like, like why this movie is so important because it just keeps pointing to this. Like it, in a way it's like celebrating film in a way that film just doesn't get celebrated, right? Mm. Uh, it's it's meta and all this bullshit, but it's so. It, it, for me at that point, like this is a movie. Again, you have to, as you said, hype yourself up for. But you also, I think you kind of you kind of have to reach out for it too, and because I think that that line there is Paul Thomas Anderson kind of putting his arms out. Please, please, just kind of come with me here, please. Mm -hmm. And you got to be like, okay, okay, bud, we'll do this. We'll do this thing together. Um, it really, really moves me. Um, uh, so. There's uh, kind of more contradictions in Frank's story in the interview. It gets into this kind of sociopathic autopilot mode uh, to give us a kind of another break. Uh, and we go back to the game show. Uh, Philip Baker Hall is starting to show just how fucking smashed he is. Um, uh, yeah. Um, there's a really good, oh, that wonderful singing from uh, Jeremy Blackman here that kind of cuts to the, the opera playing at uh, Claudia's house. This is really cute uh, scene where they're flirting about coffee. Uh, Jim Curry uh, suggests that uh, she keep the knob at two and a half. <laughs> not, not rock out. It's like, you know, it's okay to rock out sometimes. He's just, he just wants to be there with her. He's such a sweet guy. Um, um, Stanley needs to go to the bathroom. Louise starts talking shit with the kids on the set. Uh, Phil knocks a bunch of p uh, pills on the floor uh, while he's on hold. That that's a uh, you know adds a chaos that the dogs are barking and Earl is screaming incoherently. Like it's just so uh, ugly, an ugly scene. Jimmy speaking with uh, the stage manager explains that it's he's terminal. It's in my bones. I'm fucked. Um, Thurston Howell and 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 Donnie Smith continue their conversation. This is one line that Donnie Smith says. It kind of shows up in other other characters too. So I used to be smart. Now I'm just stupid. And uh, Thurston Howell calls Donnie Smith a cause of dullness. <laughs> um, yeah, I see what like from what you were saying. Like I, I get that there, but I also see it as like I just, he doesn't see the point in in young people if they're not gonna please him at this point anymore. Do you know what I mean? I, I also think he's just somewhat of a cruel person yep he is but they, I, they're definitely meant to be, this is meant to be like a fucking parable of sorts i think it's like the walrus and the carpenter sitting next to each other some bullshit mm. i think i think it's overt like it, it's i i really think he's trying to make us see that they're you know they're meant to be something here um and when you think about it with the other things because they're really hitting it over and they really finally say it here eventually um but Donnie Smith talks about the scars left by shitty parenting and, and getting struck by lightning. Yeah. Um, and, and I mentioned being a spoke in the wheel. And that's the first time where Donnie Smith is like, yeah, it's the first thing you said that's right. Because I think he's excited that he's talked, that he's starting to get closer to this is something that is cyclical, right? That's a theme here, right? We're, we're always, our fathers are always going to fuck up shit for us uh, and fuck us up if they treat us like shit. If right. um, uh, the, the line is repeated um, uh, that I used to be smart and I'm just stupid. And he's like, shall we drink to that? We return to Frank's interview. 
his distaste of the past. This is important too, that again, the juxtaposition of these two things, his dist, he, gets, he really doesn't like talking about his past, but he's still trying to keep this cool persona on. Uh, she eventually calls him out and it's revealed his mother died in 1980. Lily, this is the name that Earl had been shouting. Now he is furious. He's been caught in, in his grift, essentially. Fuck, I wish this would happen to some of these fucking pricks in the real world right now. Um, music, uh, uh, the kind of questions in the game become super difficult in the game show. Stanley is upset. Uh, Linda speaks to the lawyer again. It's still a mess. She wants it to be a, a change from the will. She admits she never loved uh, uh, her husband. She's having, again, this crisis of conscience. Conscious, conscience. <laughs> she doesn't want the inheritance. Stanley and the kids are, are losing. The adults are getting uh, pissed off. The parents are getting pissed off because they're watching, what the fuck, what's going on? They want money, right? Because they're just exploiting these kids. They're, they're the symbol of like uh, the, the awful parents, right? Especially his dad. Uh, Linda learns she can renounce them, but that means Frank would get the money. She doesn't like that. Jimmy is breaking down even further. The topic names are so cryptic. Did you notice this about the topics? Like it's like picnic, whispering, you know, like it's so, like it's, uh, it's kind of Kubrickian, you know what I mean? To throw these weird words, they're just kind of like, and it's like, it's all lit up, whispering. Like that's one of the topics. It's so bizarre. Um, uh, uh, ba -ba -ba. Jimmy breaks on further. Uh, Stanley pees his pants and accidentally hits the buzzer. They look over to him. He's in shock. This seems to put Jimmy over the top. It's, it's weird that there's kind of a connection between Jimmy and Stanley here, that they both are kind of falling apart at the same time. He mm -hmm. gives away, but Jimmy gives away the answer as he's just kind of rambling and he begins to cry. You see a tear just kind of come down. It's a really incredible little bit of acting there from Philip Baker Hall before he just passes out. Claudia does another line of coke. Uh, if, uh, in secret as she, uh, uh, she um, uh, Brian's, uh, again, very, very light strings are playing here. It feels, it's a really interesting juxtaposition of like this kind of like, we're so happy to see that, that there's kind of Malora or, or that uh, Claudia is showing happiness and this character uh, by Jim Curring is, is getting a connection here uh, with these really light strings on it. But it puts in contrast with what's happened with Stanley and with, with Jim and, and it, it creates a really, really interesting dynamic. Um, Stanley's dad enters the set to scream at Stanley along with everyone else. Claudia, uh, she's doing her TNJ click with, uh, with uh, 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 Jim. That's really cute. Which I really related to because I have that as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, oh, and, and it's a weird connection that, that when they show uh, the kid version of Donnie Smith at the beginning, he has it. Like he does it. Like you see him kind of do it really quickly. So just throwing these other weird little connections between everybody. Yeah, I'll have to go back and look at yeah. that. Yeah, it's just a quick shot when you see him as a kid. He does it after winning an award, like, or something. Mm -hmm. um, um, so, <laughs> she, I love this. She jokes about, it, it's, this whole scene is extremely low lit, too, which is really interesting. Um, she jokes about 187, and he gets serious. I love that. He's so adorable. Um, he leaves, yeah. stops, and she hears the radio while he's still in, because she's right by the door. This is really cute. Uh, it returns and he asks her out and she's like, I thought you were flirting with me. She's so coked up, but it's so uh, cute, adorable and sweet. Uh, Frank sits in silence, no longer answering questions. There's a phone call for him. Uh, we hear on the other, on the outside. Uh, and he says, I'm quietly judging you. Like, fuck you. Like, that's just, <sighs> he's trying to show that he still has some power, but he doesn't. And he really, he kind of gets violent. Uh, he like kind of uh, reaches out for, he can tell that this is just boiling underneath him. The game show returns. Stanley doesn't want to go for the one-on-one. -on -one. Um, the 
conversation with Thomas Howell con uh, continues, expresses his love for the bartender. And then he says, here's where you're really, where they really kind of hammer home what is the theme of this story, of this film, and the theme of Big Daddy, I will say. He says, it is a dangerous thing to confuse children with angels. The theme emerges. As Donnie repeats the quote from the book, maybe through with the, the we may be through with the book, um, uh, but the book ain't th uh, in through with us or whatever. And then he corrects the old man. This is the theme of the film. It is not dangerous to confuse children with angels. Mm -hmm. um, we cut to Jim Curry on the top of the world, acting like he's on cops again. He's like, woo, like he's still talking to somebody because he, he, she said yes to this date. And mm -hmm. uh, um, Brian strings again, um, lower again, as he sees somebody running away. Uh, and Claudia sits alone, lights another candle. The pace picks up again, like just at hour one. Um, Stanley continues to refuse to go up and talk. The phone gets closer to Frank. Linda returns home. She nearly commits suicide by uh, leaving her car running in the garage, but decides against it because she sees the pills that she knows she has to give to, to Earl. Frank's interview ends, and he gets violent, as I said, as he leaves the room. It continues to rain as, as uh, the dogs bark. Um, we hear uh, uh, Jimmy Gator say, this is, again, like he's kind of laughing about, this is a kind of the, the weird kind of mood of, like this, it does, it is kind of subtly abusive. The show is kind of subtly abusive to kids yep. in the yep. way he's like, uh, the indecision of a child, uh, ladies and germs. Like it's all a big joke and he gets applause, like polite applause. Uh, Stanley with a, uh, uh, that you can see a bit of a wing behind him there right after we've been told not to confuse children with angels. I think that was deliberate. Um, uh, so Jim uh, uh, steps in the car or gets out of the car to search for the subject. He loses his gun. A small, the small uh, black kid uh, takes it away. Um, somebody uh, quotes, oh yeah, Donnie Smith quotes Exodus on the toilet saying something about the sins of our fathers. Frank's on the phone, uh, uh, quotes, uh, here's where he quotes uh, uh, Patton Oswalt things. What, what I want is for you to do your fucking job. Like that's directly from, uh, I think, Werewolves and Lollipops is the name of the uh, stand-up album. <laughs> the game show uh, shuts down uh, mid-rant. Uh, from Stanley. He's like, go to commercial. They just shut it all down because the kid is kind of gone. Kid's gone rogue, pretty much. Yep. He's, yep. He's, he's thinking for himself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Linda enters uh, uh, the home and takes the phone away from Phil just as uh, it's about to go to uh, Frank. Uh, Jim cries because he can't find his, his, his gun. Stanley runs away and a collective breakdown of sorts has just happened in the film. Um, yep. So, And again, that's like the two hour mark. So anything you want to add up, uh, up until this point uh, as to where we are in, in Magnolia before we go back to lighter fare? Um, this, if I'm not mistaken, this is the moment in the movie where um, it sort of reaches a fever pitch. Yep, big time. And there's almost a sort of carousel effect with the camera. Yeah. Because it's moving big time. from one story to another. Yeah. And everyone seems to be on the slow boil. Yeah. Um, and, and the music again is building and building and building. Um, it's probably the most intense moment of the movie with the exception of just before the opening credits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of just like, uh, in, in your overload. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But, but the cool, the funny thing is, it's just like, not a lot is really happening. <laughs> like that's, what's so fucking cool about it. You know, somebody might answer a phone. Somebody yeah. might, uh, you know, uh, and somebody almost kills himself, I guess, but they talk themselves yeah. out of it. It's all just, but it's all just like these internal, like, like things. It's so awesome. 
but it's um, a lot of people are really upset. Yeah, and it and it is like a collective breakdown. Um, yeah, and, and and it's beautiful. It's like a song, I mean, as we said. This might, this might sound absurd um, to someone who's paid more attention to this movie, I guess, than I have, or who's watched it more times than I have. Sure. But after having watched it this weekend, and again, I probably hadn't seen it in at least five years, probably longer than that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe because in anticipation of this interview, I was paying more attention than I otherwise would have. The sheer volume of hurt in this movie. Yeah, I know. I don't think I'd quite realized before. I know, I know that it's not a happy movie, um, yeah. despite the little grace notes of humor. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it uh, is absolutely saturated with the pain of existence. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And now we'll go back to Big Daddy, a Happy Madison production. And we're only at the two-thirds mark in that movie. So anyway, <laughs> if that, if that. So uh, he's, he, we learned that he loves this show called the uh, 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 Kangaroo Show, and he puts it on, and it's just like he again, like this kind of Barney, like uh, I love you or whatever. And he's singing a song, and just after you see like the first two lines of the song, <laughs> the reaction from Sandler. I can't take this shit. Are you fucking serious? <laughs> um, I thought the sunglasses bit was cute. It gets a little too schmaltzy. Um, it's fine at the beginning. It's, it's especially, it's good when it's, when it's Sandler and him, you know, mm-hmm. he's able to make it work better. He goes to see his girlfriend. This is a great scene. He wants to go see her to say that he's got a kid. He's excited. And he thinks she's going to like it. She's not into it. But there's somebody there and he's freaking out. He's in the bathroom. He's like, he's banging on the door. He's ready to beat the shit out of him. And an old guy gets out. It's like, oh, for a second, I thought you were sleeping with my girl. The old guy's like, I am. And it's just like, what's that? The way he responds to that first, what's that? Like, he's still, like, he's not afraid to, to fight again so quickly. Um, but again, and the, the way he kind of, like, he's like, like he finds out she's dating this old guy because he's got a five-year plan. What is it? Don't die. Like one great line after another here. Uh, beautiful ageism, the, the best ageism <laughs> you can have. Um, and as he's just like, he grosses himself out <laughs> on the way out when he's talking. I know you're going to be thinking about me when he's in top of you with his old white flabby wrinkly skin and his old balls. Gross. <laughs> like he grosses himself out. <laughs> And he walks out the door. Really funny stuff. Uh, later we hear, like, he, he first, yeah, I found out my girlfriend's banging the Pepperidge Farm guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, younger viewers will not know what the hell that means. <laughs> so he agrees to keep the kid until they find a family. Uh, they call his dad and they tell him it'll be all right. Um, I think Sandler is really able to carry this material because, as he said, it's not, it's just, this is so. This is, half a script if that especially the, the third the, the third act is just unlike like, his other movies yeah yeah oh yeah i mean like there's this was i think wedding singer of the happy madison kind of took baby steps towards being like a real movie but mm-hmm. i think this wanted to I, to kind of be seen as a real movie at times and it just when it does it's like I'm, like like billy madison is the best bad movie ever made in in my opinion <laughs> Like that, very long time. So yeah. I can't. Oh, that I would recommend uh, rewatching. Really, really good. Really, really good. Okay. Stands up. Um, um. So here's he agrees to keep the kid. He calls his dad. Uh, uh, Sandler is uh, again. 
there's always talking with the kid about the relationships between kids and their dads. And we see that, that emo guy go by, Hey, who won the Jets game yesterday? Who cares? He's, and as he's walking away, you're mad at your dad. You're mad at your dad. I forgive you. And he kind of stops. <laughs> <like>, he's right. <laughs> Again, there's what I'm realizing. How did, like, I, I didn't make this connection when I both, I just knew that we both liked this movie and I needed something lighter when we're talking about uh, Magnolia. But mm-hmm. like these again, it's it's not wrong to confuse children with angels. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he teaches them the Chief J Strongbow sleeper hold. Uh, he's well known on this this network. He's an old school wrestler. Uh, an old friend uh, Kelly loves him. Uh, leads into a good times montage. Montage number one in this movie. <laughs> one mo- montage number one. Uh, they run into Joey Lauren Adams. Uh, I love the stick scene between the two of them. Here's the thing, like here's where you start to see Adam Sandler really take, like he could have done, um, you know, uh, you know, really good, um, I guess he would later do better, uh, you know, romantic comedy. He's never really done a great romantic comedy, but this two, two between the two of them, and here's where, again, where I'm looking like- Drunk love a romantic comedy. Yeah, yeah, oh sure, yeah, I guess, right, in a way. <laughs> very, very strange romantic Yeah, comedy. yeah, yeah. Um, but like, he could have done like that That kind of, I, as I said, I guess he did, but he, like there, there could have been like a really good, like kind of more um, middle of the road um, type mm-hmm. for him out there. So, and with Joey Lorna, I love this stick scene where he lies twice to her about it. That's so awesome, man. That feels real. That's like good first date material. You're gonna, yeah, she's gonna remember that. Um, uh, it's schmaltz as he, as he, as, when he sends him to school, it gets a little too schmaltzy. Uh, but I love when he gets home from sending him to school and we hear his answer machine and it's, we hear Fran uh, Halen's, might as well leave a message, might as well leave a message. <laughs> that makes me laugh every time. I love the, the yoo convo he has, the conversation he has with the kids. About, <laughs> about, uh, about staying off drugs. And he's like, yeah, yoo-hoo's great. You know what else is good with yoo Rum. Like what's rum? It's like you know what rum is Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> Rumpelstiltskin. Rumpelstiltskin's a good man. <laughs> he walks away and tells him to stay clean. Um, really funny. Um, uh, oh yeah, again we, we show him just like how he's a shitty dad though too here. <laughs> when they're walking through the hall, he's got or they're walking when they're shopping at the grocery store. He's like, how do I? I got eczema. How do I make it stop itching? Like I don't know. Scratch it. <laughs> it's like what a <laughs> shitty thing to say. Um, uh, here's what I start wondering if they do they overdo the reaction guy um, there's a long second act sag here it really kind of dies down uh, he sees the kid again he's like you stay in clean pal you drink the booze you lose stay clean punk um, uh, the, the teacher was well cast I love how she kind of really gives him shit here um, <clears throat> I think there's another montage in there at some point oh yeah no, okay here comes the second good time montage uh, uh, that leads into this play. Um, oh, oh no, here's where, like, when he's trying to teach the kid that he can read, um, or teach the kid to read, and, and he takes a shot at uh, Rob Schneider here. He's like, he can't even read, and you just see this, this, the quick shot of Rob Schneider and just like the pain in his eyes. I really like that. <laughs> um, so we get our second good time montage. Again, the play, the play is super schmaltz. It was really hard to watch. A uh, really weak-ass social worker scene with a music crescendo as he gets taken away. They fast-track the hearing. Um, this is nonsense. <laughs> it turns into absolute nonsense. Um, I thought Joey Lauren Adams is really too good for this material at times. Um, 
but we cut to a montage number three as he's studying for this for this big event or for this big courtroom uh, montage or the big courtroom final scene here. Um, should we stop here? No, I'll just finish this off. Hurley, he takes a sand, uh, takes a shot at him about being a wuss. Uh, Buscemi uh, as well. There's a good OJ line about, uh, he's like, hey, if OJ can get away with murder, he should be able to look out. This guy knows what he talks, what I'm talking about. Just cuts to some random black guy. Um, Schneider, I like the line about lamb and tuna fish when he's online. Uh, there's some more daddy issues, uh, uh, kind of jokes with Buscemi. Um, one more Hooters joke. I laughed out loud at how Julian just kind of charms the classroom. It's so stupid. The lines, like he's just saying swear. Oh, isn't that adorable? And the, and the judge is like into it. It's so fucking <laughs> just ridiculous the way they wrap this thing up. Uh, Buscemi, I love that. Uh, the reason why, so it gets, uh, it, this all builds up to uh, Sonny gets his dad to cross-examine him because if he'll allow me to have a kid, then anybody would. And, he's, and he starts asking him about, what did you do when you had this really important thing with your sister or whatever? He's like, I went off to a Jethro Tull concert. And there's this really great <laughs> shot of Steve Buscemi kind of go, yeah, I'd probably do the same thing. <laughs> um, Buscemi is very good at the, uh, yeah. the shrug. Yeah, big time. And, uh, <laughs> and for some reason, they cut to him later and he's eating cantaloupe. I remember that really made me laugh. Dude, that had nothing. <laughs> Did he just get that off craft services or something? So bizarre. <laughs> so bizarre. Um, uh, so everyone calls uh, their dads after Sonny's speech. Again, like again, so kind of making fun of themselves. It's still whatever. Um, there's a Toronto reference about Joe Carter because that's where the kid came from as Jon Stewart agrees that he's going to take him back. Um, Rob Schneider offers one last bit of advice. What was it? It was something about not ordering something at his restaurant. I can't remember what it was. I do not remember. Uh, and then we get montage number four. There are four montages in this movie <laughs> that leads to, uh, it cuts to one year and three months later. And they're at Hooters. And here's where I think that they could have wrapped up really well. The uh, Here's what I said. The guy, the guy who was super homophobic should have shown up with his new boyfriend. That would have been nice to put a bow on that joke. And I really thought it would have been great. Here's what I would have done is, is have, um, um, they would have run into uh, Buscemi in the parking lot in a, uh, like, uh, like he's re-enlisted in the Marines. He's like, oh, so uh, he's like, yeah, things are bad with my dad and I've re-enlisted. He's like, oh, you really turned your life around. Yeah, and then maybe a drug dealer walks by and goes, shrooms. He's like, oh yeah, I'll get some of those. <laughs> like that, there you go. Put a wrap, put a bow on that bad, bad boy too. All right, <clears throat> speaking of putting a bow on it, we're in the yeah. home stretch All right. of Magnolia here. Yeah. <laughs> Linda lies next to Earl. She cries, apologizes to Phil because she attacked him when she came in. Right. Uh, uh, Frank T.J. Mackey returns to applause, but he, and he seems like he's right back into character at first until he has a minor mispronunciation of heinous. He says heinous, so you're starting mm -hmm. to see the cracks. Um, he has a minor breakthrough where he's like, uh, where he just basically says like, well, my mommy died when I was early and my dad hit me, so that's why I am what I am. And he, like he wants to fight back at it, but he knows he can't. He's like, no, I will not apologize. Like he's really having this, he's having to deal with some inner fucking shit here. Uh, he grabs the wrong book. Like he really starts to feel like, I remember he turns down a microphone. Like he's starting to feel like, no, I'm, I'm going to use this energy. But he grabs the wrong book and like freaks out and just flips this, uh, flips that table. You can tell right. it's, it's clear that he's rattled. Um, Which I remember, I remember reading in an interview, it was Tom's idea to flip the table over. Yeah, sounds about right. Sounds like something that asshole would do. <laughs> <laughs> and he was hesitating to do it. Yeah. And Anderson sensed that that was what he wanted to do. And he yeah. said, 
Tom Cruise. You can flip the table if you want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's pretty fucking great because it, it really just like imagine being one of the guys in the audience say like, oh, what's up with our hero? Um, Earl. So now Earl calls from the bed for Phil and he begins this extended monologue, this dying man. Um, it goes nowhere again. And again, this is another attempt at resensitization because I, I, you know that this comes from a personal place of watching his dad die and just hoping for something profound maybe. But just mm. like he like he's like there's a long after it goes on for like it feels like it's like eight minutes he talks um and he confesses to being a bad husband and father and it really gets into regret but there's one thing he's, he said know that you should do better he asks for a cigarette um and after a while he says it's a long way to go without a punch because that's and i think that's like again it's it's calling attention to itself right he's like i'm the i'm the dying man on the bed in the movie i'm supposed to like give say one last great thing but that's not he's trying to resensitize you um, uh, as this monologue goes on, um, uh, Jimmy returns home. His wife looks after him. Claudia gets ready for her date and a bunch of cops are still looking for, for Jim's gun. And he's, he's a mess too. Stanley breaks into the library and begins to read about these. I love the way it shoots like, just like wunderkinds. That's what he's looking at. Like these, like, like these kids, uh, like geniuses throughout uh, history. Um, Donnie Smith sets his keys up. Linda takes some pills with vodka. Frank sits in his car. Phil tells his fellow co-worker that he'd like to stay on and gives Earl, he gives Earl the, this real close-up as he gives uh, Earl a drop of liquid morphine. And then the wise up scene. Um, mm -hmm. It's still really pretty. It's still like heavy. It didn't, it didn't get me this time. There's times when it's mm -hmm. really got me. Um, this time I'm kind of, I was thinking about, <laughs> this is such a risk, right? He's taking such a risk here as a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah, because this is this is when it becomes detached from reality. Yeah, yeah, to some extent. Everything, everything up to this point is somewhat plausible. I guess, least, but but I mean, he's still trying to tell us this is something that happens. This is something that happens. Mm. You sing like there's times in life when a song comes on and it fucking uh, like doesn't matter what like it'll ump the emotional. If there's a, it's in the middle of a real emotional moment, you might need it, and it might, or it might, you might, it might hurt. You know what I mean? I know. Yeah, I love that it finishes with, and the, the song is so heavy. I love that it finishes with Stanley, like he's he's come to a realization, um, and and it's like he looks up and uh, says, uh, yeah, he said like he finishes with like, uh, so just give up, mm -hmm. um. It's like he's 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 figured something out. So the rain stops. The bus at the bus stop. You can see on the bus stop here that it's Exodus eight two. Um, Jim picks up Claudia. Donnie Smith borrows a car. This is the the, the one of the Italian or the Iranian. Oh, <laughs> yes, this is the Iranian student that I used to work with, uh, or that I that I showed this film to would say that to me every day in class. Donnie, oh Donnie, <laughs> just kills me. I love that line. Remember how much you loved that line? Yeah. When awesome. You. That's funny. That's fine. It's funny to, that, that that clicked with a kid all these He's years later. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> Uh, Frank is at the door. I love the line he gives. To, I love the the scenes between the two of them. Um, even though you can't really see Tom Cruise, uh, to see him and and uh, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman sharing the scene together is so great. Uh, and I love that line, Phil. 
I will fucking drop kick those dogs if they get anywhere near me. <laughs> he says that twice. I love how serious he is when he says that. Um, and you believe him. Yes, big time. At that, that, yeah, because at that point, he's just like, it's just, fuck, I don't need anything else here. I, just, I need to get this done. I don't, I'd rather not be in this situation. Uh, so yeah, you do believe him. Worm, so again, the, the, the worm's son, uh, the, the, the black kid that, who had wrapped before, finds Linda passed out in her car, looks through her purse and calls 911. Um, Jimmy and his wife have a conversation where he finally reveals what he's done, but in a very cowardly way. You can tell he's feeling guilt because he knows he's dying, but he doesn't reveal everything. He reveals that he's cheated on her. Like he think he, right. I think he thinks that he's kind of thinks he can get away with that. Um, right. um, Jim's on the date with Claudia. It's awkward to start. Um, Donnie Smith pu- pulls up playing dreams. He steals money from his from his work. Frank walks into the room with his dad. Um, and she and says, first thing he says is you prick. And he enters with hate in his heart and he brings up his mom. He enters with hate in his heart. You know what I mean? Mm. He, he bears his soul almost instantly, but does not want to cry for him. This is an incredible scene. This is an incredible scene. It is so sad, man. Donnie drives away. Uh, this is where you see that keep door lock at all times. Keep door lock at all times. Written in Sharpie. That is <laughs> such a nice touch. Donnie drives away as the medics check on Linda and the kid's rap returns. It's like he's, he's telling us something's coming, something's coming. Um, Jimmy and the wife conversation continues and she asks about Claudia. Why does she not, why does she not um, talk to you? Yeah. Um, so here's, I wanted to get, uh, and he's like, I think and he, he's trying, he's playing dumb. He says, I think, you know, this is what really got me the first time, not with her, not with that conversation, but with what really got me was with Claudia and Jim's conversation. And it, this is what really hit me this time around watching it was when she, and this is what the thing that really shifted, shifted with me immediately after watching it is like when she talks about he says we got to get rid of all it forget about all the shit and piss and just say what's on our mind right and just be honest in the way you Mm. talk to people Mm -hmm. and i found that and i i was like that all like that really changed me like i was like that all the time right um or i just tried to adapt i tried to 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 do that more and and like i remember like people would call me out on it it's like i would say things like well i like if after running into an act an actress i hadn't seen in a long time at an audition it's like i hope to see you again very soon like i would try try to say things as honestly as possible and she'd be like okay nerd (laughs) (laughs) but i really tried to use that kind of language like it's especially especially with the language that that uh, that Stanley uses towards his dad at the end. I think that's what Claudia is tu- is touching on here. Is like mm-hmm. we should be able to say these things that shouldn't be difficult to say, um, like what he says at the end. And especially when she comes back and she quotes, she comes back, she gives him a kiss, and she quotes some. Um, she's a wreck, uh, and she quotes some um, the, uh, the the Amy Mann song. Uh, and she bears her soul to uh, says, and now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing me again? Yeah. Um, and she bears her soul to him immediately, and finally, and, and thinks like, like, why are you with me? Like, I'm, 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 like, you can tell she's she's in so much pain. She's in so much pain. It's so hard to watch. This really, really got me this time when she's just breaking down to him, and he returns with his story about his gun and the conversation. Uh, like it shifts, and like he's he's showing her. Um, this, to speak honestly, honesty, um, and 
Uh, this made me sob this time. I'm not going to lie to you. Watching this this time, this really, really got to me. Um, I don't know what it was. Um, so Jimmy uh, got back to Jimmy Gator. He admits to her. He's, he admits to Claudia thinking that he, I think he thinks she thinks that I molested her. And she's mm -hmm. like, and, and then like, and, and right away, that's enough for his, his wife. And she's like, fuck you. And out the door, he's like, you deserve to die alone for what you've done and says that you should like know better. And like he needed that character needed to be told this in this story. Um, Claudia uh, is Claudia quotes Amy man and runs out of the restaurant. Um, cuts back to Tom Cruise, who's sobbing. He is sobbing. And he's saying things like, he's like, he's swearing at him, he's swearing at him. And then eventually he's like, don't you fucking die on me, you cocksucker. Don't you fucking die. That is so heavy and awful and real. And like, fuck, man. Like, I don't have the best relationship with my dad these days. It's not a bad relationship. But I get that idea. And it's never, it's not like, I didn't have a... He wasn't an awful father, but, but I get that, that, that how, like, even when you're, you're on the, when you have like these shitty times, like that's it, man. Blood is something that you can't separate yourself from. It's something, um, I don't know. I don't know. It's tough, but again, it's tied to these themes of, uh, of, I remember that, like when somebody asked Paul Thomas Anderson, what's, and it is the, 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 you know, rephrasing of what we said the theme was. Somebody asked him in that Rolling Stone interview and he said, just what was this movie about? He said, be good to your kids. Be good to your kids. Um, it's such a great performance. He won the Oscar for this, didn't he? Or was he nominated? He was nominated. Maybe he didn't win. I don't know. Uh, Tom, Tom Cruise are we talking yeah. about? Yeah. Just nominated, I believe. Yeah, just nominated. I got two nominations, this, that, and for screenplay. I remember the mock, uh, a shock that Paul Thomas Anderson gave when he lost. He was such a little brat back then. He was such a little shit in that uh, documentary, too. But if you're that fucking on top of the world at that point. Anyways, um, Donnie's, uh, Donnie's, Donnie has a change of heart, turns around. Claudia's mom sees the light change to green, significant. A lot happens at this intersection here. The intersection of Magnolia and something. I can't remember what, what the cross street is. Mm -hmm. um, but everything kind of happens here. And again, like it's meant to show the, of course, the intersection is a huge symbol in this movie. Um, yeah. uh, so Donnie Smith in Dreams returns. It's always funny when that song shows up, even at this point where I'm just like dead, like just like falling, my, my gut's been torn up. Um, he can't get in the front door. He needs to climb up the side. Uh, Jim sees this, and then a fucking frog falls from the sky. Uh, here's where we see Exodus 8-2. Exodus 8-2, as clear as day, is like, if you, it's like, it's like, if you do not let my children go, I will smite your, your city with frogs. That's all. So they were telling us this was going to happen again. We should have known it was coming. Um, and in the middle of this, I love when there's that quick zoom to one of uh, like the artwork in... Um, Claudia's room where it says, but it did happen, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, and I know that uh, when one of the frogs, like, it's just insane, right? I remember seeing this first time in theater, <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Um, uh, the audience was, it was a packed house when I yeah. went to see the opening night. <laughs> what, what better way to spend uh, uh, Christmas Day Eve? Um, and everybody was just, completely incredulous at that point. We've mm. already been through the emotional ringer. Right. This, this, is, this is about two and a half hours into the movie. Mm -hmm. All this shit has happened. 
mm-hmm. and then suddenly there there are frogs falling from the sky yeah, so, yeah. uh it's <laughs> it's madness and i remember hearing uh, uh i think it's in this interview paul thomas anderson talks that it's important because philip baker hall is about to kill himself yeah. but he thought that he, i think paul thomas anderson said something along the lines of that that's not no he doesn't deserve that he deserves uh that's too easy for him or something. So, so a frog knocks the gun out of his hand and his house starts on fire. We never hear from him again. That's the end of Philip Baker Hall in this film. Um, but as this is all going on, everything is like, it's just madness. And why are the frogs falling from the sky? <laughs> Phil Farmer, I love it. But we see Stanley again in the library and he is in, in again, in a, a piece that mm-hmm. is, is, unlike anybody else and he says this happens this is something that happens and i think what's meant to be there is he's he's, a, he's got a piece that we're not meant to understand hmm. and he's genius. what's that genius yes yeah but i think it's, it's the fact that he's a kid and i think like he's smarter than the rest he's smarter than everybody in this fucking movie um mm-hmm. Um, there's one last exchange, uh, uh, luck between Frank and Earl, but nothing comes out of his mouth and he dies. It's just awful. It's painful, but it's beautiful. Um, and then we see, we, the title card reads, so now then, and then we hear this John Bryan score that I love. This is my favorite, uh, bit of music from John Bryan in this film. Uh, it was what me and my, um, groomsmen walked into at my wedding. Um, I love this. That's so pretty. Um, and, he, and he goes over everything that has happened. Um, <clears throat> he mentions the vignettes again briefly. And he again repeats uh, in the book, says we may be through, uh, the past may be through with us, but, or fuck, I keep, I say it wrong every time. We may be through with the past, but the past ain't through with us. Um, which again, which is tied to the idea of the sins of our fathers and, um, and how you can't escape um, the things that shape you and the, and the people who shape you. Um, so uh, everything kind of winding down. The phone is for Frank as Phil breaks down one last time. Oh, God. As he's folding up and breaks down one last time. That is just too much, man. That is too much, especially knowing that he's not with us anymore. Man, that really got me this time, too. Mm. <sighs> he's so good. He was, so, he was a goddamn gift, man. Um, yeah. Um, so we learned that Linda is okay. Stanley comes home to to his dad fast asleep. And this is what I mean, that line where you, I just, you have to start being honest and start saying things that are on your mind that what you, that you should be saying, even if you're afraid to say them. And he just says, dad, you need to be nicer to me. You need to be nice. He's like, go to bed, fuck off. He's like a fast asleep. I love that scene too. That kid, Jeremy Blackburn, good God. Uh, Donnie Smith to, uh, to, 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 uh, with uh, Jim, uh, he gives another great line. I really do have love to give. I just don't know where to put it. That's so just heartbreaking. Everybody's kind of just hitting us with gut punches here. Um, and the gun falls. The gun yeah. falls. And I think it's meant to be tied to the worm storyline somehow. I, I, I haven't gone back and read it. It's a little too cutesy-wootsy at the mm-hmm. end of that. Mm-hmm. Um but maybe it happens. These are things that happen. You lose, you lose things and you find them. I guess that's what it's supposed to be. Um, fall from the sky. Yeah. 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 Anyways, 
we got one last cops monologue to wrap things up um with that has donnie returning the money kind of going back um but this i love this monologue because it comes from a real place with this character and he's like that's a hard part he's like you got to forgive and he's like what do we forgive so again he represents this kind of you know the the christian ideals that are that we're supposed to be or that just all this bullshit is based on what the sin of our fathers basically comes from maybe that's why it has to be connected to you know what i mean um as he starts to drive away he's like that's a hard part tough part of walking down the street and he turns on the car and then the uh, academy award nominated film lost to what or did it win no it didn't win no no it, 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 i guess it was three nominations for this film um it was i remember her playing what one jesus what was it oh anyways it wasn't her it's probably yeah but yeah uh wasn't that the same year that tarzan was up and like uh south park was up as well yes yeah, south park was up that year too when what's his yeah. name uh robin williams sang uh blame canada ah <laughs> what one is it tarzan uh, i'm just looking at oh uh, shakespeare in love but that one for best picture. Oh, so, oh, for best picture. Sorry, we're talking about screenplay? No, song, I'm thinking. Because I know Save Me was nominated. Oh, uh, yeah, When You Believe from the Prince of Egypt. Oh, that's right. That's I right. Even, I don't even know what that is. One out over I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Yes, of course. Of course. Diane Warren, classic. That'll do from Babe Pig in the City, performed by Randy Newman, of course. Of course. <laughs> um, something from The Horse Whisperer. Weird. Yeah. Okay, but then I guess uh, South Park wasn't nominated that year? No, not that Blame year. Canada? Okay, I guess it was a different year. Oh, cool. I think it was 97. Okay. Uh, anyways. All right, so it plays as, as we see Claudia sit in her bed, and her, you can tell her mom was there with her and like kind of was looking after her and it stays on her and the camera is moving so 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 slowly on her as we see Jim kind of enter from off camera we can only hear whispers like bits and pieces yeah. of what he's saying I, to her but I found that an unusual choice I I love it but we, we hear the we hear the important parts like you are a good and beautiful person mm. You are a good and beautiful person. Jesus Christ, man. That is so real. And something that that she needs. And he's like, I'm not letting you walk out on me. And this is something that I want to try to stick with. And just as the, the song builds up, she looks directly in the camera and smiles at us. And that is just like the biggest truck hit for me of the whole fucking movie. The first time I saw it, I remember just sitting there. And for a song that was so sad to have that glimmer of, or for a movie that was so sad to have that glimmer of hope at the end is so fucking rewarding, man. Um, yeah. After, after three plus hours. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it's still, so going back, here we are 21 years later, going back to this movie. Uh-huh. Uh, 20 and a half, I guess. Who's yeah. counting? Yeah. Um, still stands up, would you say? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, um, big time. And I, I know that at the time, or at least this is this is many many years ago. Uh, P.T. Anderson said that it was it would probably prove to be the best movie that he ever made. But that's right. Since, he's since uh, retracted. Yeah. Uh, Big time. Did you did you ever yeah. listen to the um he did a WTF? 
No, no. No. And they kind of went through film by film and you kind of get the, he's like, yeah, it's long, isn't it? <laughs> I think oh, he's yeah. just, <laughs> I think he's, I think he's. I a great quote from him this past weekend. Yeah. He said that if he could, if he could say something to his younger self about Magnolia, it would be chill the fuck out and cut 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, I don't care. I just, I feel so warm. It's, it's still like a blanket to me, even if it does take you into these uh, places. There's something about the way he shoots his, his, all, even his, like, uh, some of his, um, even like fucking Heim videos. Like, you'll feel like that kind of, uh, that kind of warmth that, that, that was with the cinematography there. It just feels like I want to exist in that world. I want to live in that world, whether it's this or Boogie Nights or whatever, right? I, I, I really liked Inherent Vice. Uh, it's probably my last. Uh, I, I, one of his that I really kind of was like, oh gosh, yeah, this is the one I want to watch again and again and again, and I have. Um, but this is still, yeah, this is this is my favorite film. This is my, you know, as, especially as as I said, my adult life, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm happy that it's 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 relevance um, seems to to grow in different ways or evolve, I suppose. Especially with again with like that toxic masculinity level, and there's a recent article about that, and um, you know, it just... and yet I, I would not say it's a movie that people talk about a lot. No, no, no. There was no sort of observation around the 20th anniversary of it. I right. Mean, zero. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think there was a there was a vinyl uh, 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 re-release of the Brian that was gorgeous, and I really wanted to send oh, okay. away for it. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, but not much. No, you're right. You're right. And, and, and when people talk about him now, they talk about uh, there will be blood first and foremost, which of course is like a towering, you know, masterpiece. Yeah. And I can get why people would applaud that. Uh, but even, um, you know, uh, Boogie Nights, people still uh, talk about Boogie Nights. Yeah. So, which, which, hey, I love going back to Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights is like, uh, you never watch Goodfellas though, right? You don't like Goodfellas. I, I've, I've seen it. Yes, uh, I remember you I, don't have... I, when it came out but yeah. but i mean this is an entirely separate conversation it is no, it I'm, is I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a, <laughs> but for me like goodfellas and boogie nights yeah so, yeah for me they're kind of the same thing those two movies Good, goodfellas and boogie nights is you're hanging out with old friends uh when you go back to watch them or like dazed and confused like those kinds of movies right um yeah. but but they uh this is something special and i'm uh i'm glad we got to revisit it together my friend yeah. i'm glad that uh that that you still have uh, uh these these feelings for it and I'm glad that, uh, you know, I'm glad, like, personally, I'm glad that I'm getting to watch it with young people now, because I think that's kind of what is, you got to do. <laughs> and how are they reacting to it, by and large? As I said, I'm doing it with students who I've built up a relationship with, right? Well, what age, roughly? Uh, the high school, like grades 11 and 12. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I always have to give, like, a warning <laughs> with certain right. films, right? Yeah. Um um, but, uh, you know, I explained to them that this is, uh, you know, this is, uh, it, it gets to a time when they're writing scripts. If, if I, if I, if I, if I'm wanting them to, to do, if I can tell they're wanting to really write personal stories and I want to show them something that, that is super personal to somebody at a, at a, when somebody was a young person too, then yeah, big time I would show them this. Uh, but also it's just such an achievement of all these other things that we talked about. Um, Cool. We've I, I I guarantee this is the longest episode we've had <laughs> or I've done so far. Well, so I really appreciate the longest movie, but... Yeah. But as you know, as a guest 
on Please. yours, mine, and the truth. You have a responsibility, my friend. Yikes. <laughs> and as I said, you shaped, you helped to shape my music taste. So I'm especially, and I, I again, I like, and I, and I look up to your taste as a music critic. And I know this is way out of your wheelhouse. <laughs> the band that put me through high school. Yeah. Extreme. Give me your, your yeah. top five extreme songs. Uh, so I mean, first of all, damn you to hell for making me do that. Um, <laughs> this, this reaction is not uncommon. Yeah. Um, it, it was a challenge and yet it wasn't. Um, because. <laughs> Cause you're skipping the shit out of them. Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. I, it's needless to say, this is the polar opposite of, of what I listen to for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not, and for most for most of my life, I've never been very much of a rock and roll guy. Yeah. Um, and the rock music that I have gravitated towards, for the most part, as there's been a little bit something different about it. Um, this is this is mainstream uh, top forty cock rock. Yeah. <laughs> um, and some like, other things. I like Zeppelin though. I like yeah. Zeppelin a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, but this um, and and also a lot of even though this is from the '90s, not the '80s, um, a lot of what I've now discovered mm -hmm. because of the crash course that you've subjected me to, um, <laughs> the, a, a lot of uh, what extremes music is about is sort of exemplifies um, the city where I grew up and what a lot of the local kids listen to. Mm. Um, and I hate my hometown. So. <laughs> so this is great. This is awesome. I'm really glad this is such a positive experience. It makes me, it makes me think of, of things that the associations aren't great. Yeah. Um, so this is going to sound like a cop-out. Um, of the playlist that you provided, for those of you listening who are not mm -hmm. aware of this, I didn't have to listen to their entire discography. I mean, you could have. A Spotify playlist that, that, that uh, Travis put together. How many songs? Fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I don't know if I should say my favorite of, of the 15 or the one that I could bear the most. Sure. <laughs> not a slight. This is not a slight against you because I'm again, I'm 50 years old. I'm past the point where I try to be um, an iconoclast and lord my musical taste over other people as if I think I know better than they do. I this know. is not about that. I know. It's, it's just not to my taste. Yeah. Um, so more than words, because, um, it's their least rock and roll song. Yeah. Um, and it's, can, a, it's a stone cold classic. It's a stone cold sure. classic. What can you okay. do? Stone yeah. cold classic. All right. And, um, it doesn't have any widdly, widdly, widdly guitar solos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, man. Will that ever be fashionable again? Do you think? That's an interesting question. It, you would think not, because when was the last time that one of those right. figured in a, in a huge top 40 song? I know. Uh, I, mean, I mean, and I'm not qualified to answer that because I, I know. don't pay attention to the charts anymore. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but no, it's just, anyway. not a, it's just not a desirable, <laughs> you know. But uh, it does seem like everything cycles back at one point or another. Maybe mm -hmm. it will. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it'll maybe. take us by surprise. It might be another 20 years, but it might happen. All right. Do you um, have a, do you have a two, three, two through five here? Or what? Yeah, I compiled okay. it. 
top Excellent. five here. Um, and it was just based on the, I think the ones that surprised me the most mm -hmm. that I think had the most sort of like interesting melodic thing going on. And that makes me sound like a pretentious person. No, nope, so. no. Nope. Hey man, that's what uh, I, I, dude, I picked these things apart for the first five. I, I went through the discography track by track. I yeah. know, I, I know what canonically the 10 greatest extreme spend, songs are. Spend decades with these. So. Yeah. But I hadn't gone back. Like I had to listen to it in like, psh, God, at least 15 years, any of this uh, stuff. Okay, so at number two, I have Take Us Alive. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, kind of rockabilly kind of thing, hey? Yeah. That's from, that's from a more recent album. It was kind of interesting, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Stop the World. Mm -hmm. Nice song. Cupid's Dead mm. and Learn to Love. All right. Um, so, so those were the ones that I just found sort of surprised me. Yeah, and they, they aren't as diddly diddly at all, for sure. Yeah, um, I mean... I just, I couldn't go with Get the Funk Out. Uh, the, only, the only thing that I ever think of when I, you know, not that I've heard that song in a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. um, I remember in the video how desperately the singer was trying to be Anthony Kiedis. Hey, I, remember they, I remember hearing that about, uh, like, that, that there was something about that, I, I guess. I, I mean, they're so worlds apart, though. Um, I think yeah. is it because he was shirtless and had a and had a, a thing on the entire way he was carrying himself. I remember. And I, I remember. I would never have made that connection myself, but I, I remember I hearing that at the time. Now that you mentioned, what's that? Yeah, yeah. And and I saw this when it was new. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose you did as well. I was older, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember. Mm -hmm. It's like oh, so the Chili Chili Peppers are big now. And yeah. what's the singer's name? Nino. Nuno is the no Gary yeah. Gary Sharon's the singer. Nuno is the the guitarist. Oh, he's the guitarist. He's and guitar Nuno, yeah, yeah, Nuno, yeah, yeah, he is the guitar hero. But he's also yeah. like he's uh, he was uh, Rihanna's uh, music director for a decade. Um, wow. Do you remember um, that four or five There's seconds? Something I did not know. Yeah, the uh, the four or five seconds performance at the Grammys with uh, Paul McCartney, and there was one other guitarist on stage. It was Nuno Betancourt. So oh, okay. like this guy's, you know, he's kept busy let's say that and and it's like maintained like some level of relevancy just not in a uh, you know not as a guitar god i think they'd be a great um house band you know what i mean like i think they right. could do a lot of that yeah. uh wow they're, they're no longer active as a band though no they are they're supposed to have new music coming out they were supposed to be at a like I, oh my god i've never seen this band live i never got to see them live growing up in calgary they never came close there was one opportunity where they kind of passed through a summer but i was away in the states um through like some sort of festival with brian adams but they were scheduled to perform at a, at a canada rock festival in grand forks bc this summer on a, on a night that opens listen to this listen to this bill opens with a doa then you got starship and you got extreme, and then you close the night off with the B fifty twos. Like, how crazy a bill is that? Is, that is a bit of a dog's breakfast. It sure is, eh? But of course, canceled. I'm like, I remember yeah. seeing this. Like, I learned about it like literally the day before I started the podcast. You're like, oh my god, it's all coming together. I, I'm getting followed by Gary Sharon on, on 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 Twitter now. I thought it was all going to be this big kind of, but no, not to be. Maybe someday. I'm sorry. Um, but I really appreciate you putting yourself through that. I know what you mean. I, I, I take take uh, take us alive was um, uh, Mikey Manville's uh, legit rock star uh, favorite uh, extreme song when we did our oh, when we did okay. our thing. So there you go. I knew that one. I knew he'd like that one. I knew he'd like the kind of rockabilly. 
Uh, awesome. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate you doing that. Uh, anything else in your life you want to talk about right now? Anything coming up for you? <laughs> With COVID? No. <laughs> no, man. Uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm working on my second book, yeah. and, uh, which has been very slow going. Uh, in particular, since COVID started, because every writer that I'm talking to, for some reason, they've they've been, um, like so many of us, we're we're sucked out of our the reality that we're used to. Yeah, and uh, and it it makes uh, focusing very difficult. Mm -hmm. And in, in my case, um, when I have to write an extended project, which a book very much is, um, I do my best work outside of the home. I'm I'm one of those twats who likes to go and sit in Starbucks for hours on end. Because uh, I, I write best when I've got human activity going on around me. So Interesting. Coffee, coffee shop, library, one of those sorts of things. Obviously, the, those are not a possibility yeah. uh, at this time. So, mm -hmm. um, but uh, that is the plan is to have the second book done, yeah. which is very different from the first. Cool. Do you want to tell us uh, anything about it or no? Should we hold off? Uh, I. I could do. I mean, it's not. It's not as though I haven't revealed it to anybody else. Okay. Uh, I just don't know how much you or your listenership cares to know. Um, so, so, so the first book. I don't know if, if you've read up about it at all. So it, it's about uh, indie music from the UK, a particular strain of it uh, in the late '80s to early '90s, um, associated with one particular record label that has an enduring cult following around the world. Mm -hmm. And um, and that is the sort of music that was the center of my musical universe for from the age of 15 until very recently. Um, I've always listened to many other types of music, but that was the, that was the center around which everything else yeah. uh, orbited. Um, and so uh, you probably know this from having followed me on social media for many mm -hmm. years. Um, just coming up on five years ago, I had a major illness uh, that basically took me out of the world for a year. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, supposedly a chronic condition as well, uh, but I recovered from it. I'm part of a very small uh, percentage of people who made a complete recovery. That's awesome. Um, for, for, and I, I can only theorize as to why it happened. I have no proof why I made a complete recovery, but I have my own theories. But um, I came out of the illness uh, feeling that I had virtually no room in my life anymore for music that is sad mm -hmm. uh, or melancholy or... Um, sure. I, basically, I've, I, I came to the conclusion that uh, sad music is a luxury for people who have never experienced real trauma. And, uh, <laughs> and I became obsessed with, um, with uh, disco, uh, jazz, funk, uh, even some house music, which I had never previously listened to. Mm -hmm. um, Everything that, um, virtually every genre that mm -hmm. um, emphasizes rhythm and that is unashamedly happy. Mm -hmm. Funky metal, for example. Well, yeah. And, and it, yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> and, it was, and it was part of my recovery as well, because I, I basically am of the opinion that I recovered through just physical activity by just moving. Yeah. Um, and I needed music that propelled me. 
Um, so the book is about, begins about the illness that I went through because it's an extremely rare neurological condition that most doctors have never even fucking heard of. Yeah. Um, and how I got through that and just what it's like in middle age to experience an almost wholesale shift in the music that you listen to after having been obsessed with music uh, virtually your entire life. Because in middle age, you're just supposed to be entrenched in whatever it is that you grew up listening to. Whereas with me, it was the opposite. Mm -hmm. um, everything just completely shifted. And, um, and then it expands and takes a wider view of um, the role that music has played in um, physical and mental recovery from all sorts of uh, illnesses and, yeah. and trauma. Yeah, and sounds... the book is called Disease, Depression, Disco. I love it. I love it. Oh, man, I can't wait. That sounds great, bud. I'm really... Wait on with it. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Well, I hope the coffee shops open up soon for, for, for everyone's sake. Thank you, sir. Um, well, I'm really happy to hear that, that, uh, that everything's uh, good health-wise. I was going to ask to see if there... I didn't know it was a complete recovery, but I know that you had, had gone through everything. I'm, that, that, that's yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, thanks, man. Thanks. I really look forward to seeing that. Thank you for doing this. Thank uh, you. I, I, I've been telling people if they have an idea of something they want to bounce back from their uh, 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 youth, if you can think of something, um, by all means, I'd love to have you back. We should talk okay. music. I should talk music. See, so that's something that you know way more about than I'll ever. Yeah, yeah. You for you forgotten more about music than I'll ever think about knowing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, this is great, man. I really appreciate it. I thank you very much and I uh, hope to talk to you soon, my friend. All right. Take care. Bye. recording is I had a softball game uh, uh, the night uh, of our recording just before uh, we recorded but it was also I had just finished the film about probably an hour hour and a half before I uh, was going to play softball so I played softball I did well we won even though we were shorthanded I mean we had to forfeit because only six of us showed up but we still beat the other team uh, but 
uh, I was I was playing as like kind of like you know a half like broken man after this this watching this movie because this movie just whew, it takes a lot out of you but but it does um, for me I, I I can't I can't overemphasize how much the last smile from Melora Walters means and how much hope that fills you with and the idea of looking after each other and carrying each other whether it's generationally or just like finding recognizing when when someone we care about is in pain and and being there for them to tell them that they are a good and beautiful person or, or whatever it is they need to hear is is so 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 meaningful to me so that brings us uh to oh one other thing that i did want to mention that i I was looking up, so uh, Mike was looking up uh, the Academy Award nominees for Best Original Song from 1999. Uh, the, the, technically, the film came out in 1999, but the Academy Awards were in the fourth best of these five nominated songs. Uh, another, I think fifth best of the song, I'm just saying fifth best by default because I never heard it. It's Music of My Heart by Diane Warren from, from a movie called Music of the Heart. But also When She Loved Me from Toy Story 2. Uh, by Randy Newman, which is like remember performed by Sarah McLaughlin. Goodness gracious, that that montage in that film is so heavy. '99 was such a good year for movies. Also, I was right. Blame Canada by uh, Trey Parker and Mark Shaman. I remember it was performed by the late great Robin Williams, and Save Me by Amy Mann, um, which I think amongst those those real strong, especially those three, I think yeah, definitely the best, and the song that that still kind of haunts you when you hear it. I think. Um, so we should, I guess, wrap things up here. But before I do that, I've got a special guest I'm going to call in here. Just one sec. Hello? Okay, yeah. You can hear it? Okay. Uh, so yeah, this is, uh, my daughter, Nora Mary Washington. She's going to join us because I wanted to ask her a few questions about, um, the film we watched of the two called Big Daddy. What did you think about Big Daddy? Um, I liked it. It was really fun. Mm-hmm. What What did you, can you remember a scene that you liked or that you thought was funny? Um, the part where, um, they put, like, the sleeper. <laughs> the sleeper hold by Chief J. Strongwell. I remember yeah. that, too. Yeah, that was pretty funny. And then he was asleep. And how did they try to wake him up? What did they do? You can say it. Um... They touched his balls. Yeah, I like that part, too. He was still asleep. He wouldn't wake up. That was pretty funny. Okay, one last question. Um, is it... What do you think? I'm going to ask you. Is it wrong to confuse children with angels? Mm, not really. Why not? Because children kind of are angels. That's what I think, too, right? All right. Uh, anybody you want to say hi to out there? You want to say hi to anybody who might be listening? Hi, Dia. Hi, Amber. <laughs> Saying hi to Dia and Amber. Okay, that's nice. I'll, I'll be sure to let their their moms know that, that you're on here. Uh, next week, I'm returning to talk about uh, a movie again. Uh-huh. Another movie that I don't really... <laughs> I haven't watched in a long time. Probably more than 20 years. And I don't think it has stood up as well as Magnolia has. Yeah. Okay, but it's it's called uh, Godzilla. And we're talking about the uh, Emmerich and Devlin version with Matthew Broderick that came out in the, uh, I guess it's probably early, is it 2000? Probably, or something like that. Yeah, probably. Okay, so, uh, and also the soundtrack. Because I went to that movie twice, and uh, and, uh, and I listened to the, a lot of that soundtrack. At the time when I was working at a blockbuster video, with our friend uh, who's going to be joining us next week. He's a great actor, uh, great comedian, Brad McNeil. So I hope you can look forward to that. Uh, Until then, 
uh, th- from uh, me, Travis Voloshin, and my buddy Bones. Hi. Hi. <laughs> we'll see you next time on Yours, Mine, and the Truth.